a very warm welcome to our special guest. We've been waiting quite some time for Mr. Tony O'Brien. A round of applause, yes! Woo. Welcome to the show, Tony. Thank you. And a lovely bottle of Prosecco here, sir, for your lovely wife. You can pass that on to her, maybe. I've also got a couple of other gifts for you. I've got a book here, signed by Charlie Spedding. Stop feeding us lies. Thanks very much. Any reflections on Charlie Spedding? Oh, from a, an athlete perspective. Would yeah. he have been running? Would he have finished his career before you sort of? What? No, I, I probably um, was in the relays back in '88 um, when it was Silksworth, and he was probably towards the end of his career then. But Gateshead were quite strong then, so um, I think it was just coming to the end of his probably career in '88 when I was just going onto the scene of being into senior athletics at 18. So, yeah, I think, I think you know, obviously prior to that time and, and, and me being immersed in athletics from the 80s, you know, he was always quite prominent as one of the top marathon runners and top of the top runners in, in Britain in general. So, you know, watching him and his journey was always a, a good, good, like, thing to grasp onto as well. Yeah, so, yeah, obviously I've got loads of respect for Charlie and, you know, and what he's achieved and, and obviously everyone else. But uh, He sadly lost his son recently and we, we send, send, I personally send condolent best wishes to, to him. It must be a very difficult time, a tragedy that. And we've had, since you have arrived, we, we've been speaking for an hour. We've had a wonderful conversation, the three of us. And I keep saying to myself, I wish to God we, we'd press record, you know, because we, we've had a great chat. But it's not it's not on the recording. We, 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 we're probably flat now from all that excitement. <laughs> but one thing I, I've learned from the, the two of you, Matthew and Tony, and we were speaking together, in this life it's very easy. Chaos can surround us. And uh, in my own life, and it's, it's, it's very hard. It can be very hard to find balance. I suppose it can be very easy as well with discipline and structure. If you can get that into your lives, you will succeed. Now, I've got this from Lao Tzu, the Tao Te Ching, which was actually a gift from Kathy, a wonderful book, and I've gone through it. It's time for me to release this wisdom in to Mr. Tony O'Brien's hands. There you go, sir. Lao Tzu. Thanks very much, Sean John. You're interested in Buddhism and sort of what? What is it about that connects you with that? I'd probably say it's the exploration. I'm not into any religion. I was brought up Catholic, but I'm open to experiences and, and knowledge. So it's not a you know I'm interested in Buddhism. I'm interested in people and how people think. So I wouldn't put me brand on you know believing in a system systems help collectivism helps so i think with that it's just like it's something different and you know you've got to explore different things as you get older it never never ends does it you've got to always be in that sort of mindset that you you, you can look at things outside of your what, what you've you've always done all your life so that's what i'm doing a bit of exploration i suppose we share that and and again with social media and all these these sort of distractions in the modern age i found myself most recently slipping into these mediums and and I, I think it, it put it puts sort of a stress so whereas get with the knowledge the, the knowledge from Lao Tzu in those in those um, in the Tao Te Ching there it would it would it would I'd say disassociate from from mediums but how do you find balance with social media um, 
Charlie? So for me, social media is, uh, it's a platform that you can, you know, you can use to your advantage. I mean, initially when I got involved in social media and looking at social media and immersing myself in what was happening in social media, there's a lot of good value in social media, but there's also the polarizing effect of social media and opinions matter, they do, but too many opinions and too many points of reference can be a little bit damaging. And what it does is it sets out to actually get you to engage all the time and also immerse yourself in that world. So I suppose with that book and with, you know, trying to understand yourself and the world around you, it's good to give you that little bit of an insight. But the problem is, is that you get addicted to picking up your phone, going to sources, looking at the controversies. And I think sometimes it's just, you know, we're doing a sport that's immersed in hedonism. We're out in nature. We love it. Um, and I think we need to embrace keeping keeping that and I think that that's what keeps us centered a little bit so we're not always going to the social media status and you know what a lot of people are showing a reflective side of themselves in social media sometimes I see that the values that they've actually got are not aligned to what they put on social media so you know as long as you're putting something on social media that are aligned to your values I think there's loads of substance in that and I, and, and, and I like seeing that element of things but we get attracted to controversy, polarised thinking, polarised talking, and it, it actually separates society a little bit in that respect. Um, but I look at it as, as, as to say, you know, I'll dip in now, and, and, and you know, I got addicted to it like everyone else. Yeah. And, 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 and the constant ding of that phone, you've got to try and have that little bit of a mindfulness thing. So I, I think it can be constructive in information, brilliant. I've got loads of information off that that's helped me grow going forward. But also, there's a little bit of things in there that I think to myself, didn't really want to see that. I didn't really want to be immersed in that sort of thing. And it, it wasn't pleasant. So I think from, you know, it's how you present yourself for that information. So, you know, I personally don't say uh, post personal things. But what I'll do is I'll go on groups groups uh, where we've got commonality. And, and, and I like that interaction because... There's certain peers on that, you know, platforms that you can interact with and learn about certain things and, 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 and help you with your trial and error approach to anything that you do in your life. And, and you know, our, our product of life and what we get out of it is that we do sport and, and, and we love that element of exercise. So, you know, that's the positive aspect for me yeah. personally. But there is a destructive side as well. And, and, and by the way, you know, there's also a, a humor side which I love. That you know, sometimes you go into that immersive state where you say, "Oh, look at this on social media." You know, the TikToks and, yeah. and some of them are funny. Some of them are really, really funny. You know, and they, 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 you know, you you really come away and you're like, "Oh, that's really funny." And then, but you then you get like, "Oh, it takes you away from you know, going on things that you should be really focusing on for you know personal growth and you know and and and, and trying to you know feel good about yourself because sometimes you look at something and you go oh, I feel a little bit insecure now look how look how great their life is but is it really that great so I think you've got to sometimes look at it with a like a a little bit of a little bit of a, a glance but just don't 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 immerse yourself yeah. that's the truth the truth is only what you see in your eyes and how you live your life so I'd say there's loads of positive aspects there's loads of negative aspects 
just don't get drawn in. Yeah. That's what I say. Yeah, I, I've, I've found myself trying to step away from the likes of Facebook and all the rest of it. I seem to have replaced at the moment with, with Let's Run. You know, the Let's Runs before him. Oh. And it's so negative on there about stuff. Yeah. But obviously, it's all about running, though. So, like, you just sit there and just read yeah. all the things. Like, yeah. Yeah. I suppose you're following along with all the running news and stuff on there, but then you're just reading, like, such rubbish that sometimes they're coming out with on there as well. <laughs> and um, But, yeah, I seem to have replaced... The, the, the Facebook and all the rubbish that's on there with like just rubbish about running well, instead now <laughs> again again from an ego perspective you want to know about everything so it's FOMO again isn't it you know yeah. the, the, the present world and the information age is about fear of missing out so mm. you can make yourself look stupid by having a conversation but you know what who cares you know you make yourself look stupid but you know what you learn a big lesson I, I don't care I didn't know I didn't have access to that I didn't understand that I don't know that you know the insecurity of actually not knowing something and, and, and actually admitting to it is, 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 is a big plus for me. You know what I mean? Having that, having that security that you go, you know what, I can't give you advice on that. I haven't got a clue. You could probably tell me what's, what's best there. And it's having that, you know, humbleness and going, you know what, I don't know enough about that. I can't give you advice on that. I'm sorry. I haven't had that. I haven't had that experience. But you know what, if you have, and I can learn off that, brilliant. You know what I mean? I think there's a euphemism, isn't it? You know, um, um, you learn, from, you learn from your own mistakes, but a wise man learns from other people's mistakes. Yeah. So it's very hard to do that. It yeah. is, you know what I mean? So, you know, I think from a social media aspect, and, and you're immersed in, in running, Matthew, and, yeah. and you love running, and I love running, and I love all the intricacies, the yeah. analytical side, and you immerse yourself in that. And, and, and I'm the same as you, what you talked about was like, you know, watching the NCAs in the middle of the night. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's like, oh, I want to see it live action. Live action is important. You know, I'll have a conversation with you. This is Tracy. And, and she's like, she's watching maybe, I mean, she doesn't immerse herself in the soaps, but she likes the soaps and she likes the escapism yeah, in the soaps. Yeah. And then I'll go, I want to watch the football or I want to watch the athletics. And she's going, just tape it. And it's easy to <laughs> just tape it. I said, no, I want to watch live sport. You know what I mean? It's happening now, love. Yeah. I want to react to it as it's happening because you know what? I'm addicted to the phone. I'll pick it up and it'll spoil it. It'll give me spoilers. So, yeah. so it's on me. It's on me. But it's like I yeah. want to see live sport. I want to live it. I want to live the emotion. And and and, and you know. And that's well. That that was the challenge of Tokyo, wasn't it? it was like obviously you, you you know you 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 tried to stay up and watch bits of it, but then you, you just you know you had to go and get some sleep <laughs> at some point. And then obviously like you pick your phone up in the morning, like if you know if you went on Facebook, that was it. Everything was full of all the results, and you'd see. I think I think I had the fifteen hundred meter men's final, which I was most looking forward to, spoiled completely because it was on there. And Josh Kerr with his his medal and things. And I was like, oh come on, I really wanted to just see how oh, how that went. And because I've been listening to his podcast because him, him and uh, David Rivet do a, a podcast like and stuff yeah. like that and it's always always good so I was like oh, really keen to, to yeah. see him do I, well and I, things so. I think I listened to one of Magnus and it was he was doing an interview with his coach right and set up and he was talking about oh how, yeah Danny how, um, yeah I can't think of his last name now but yeah yeah but he the was Brooks guy, yeah. yeah it was the Brooks guy and he yeah. was saying how he had to you know Josh's mindset he's very interesting character and he's yeah. very good reflective and he knows himself really well you know what I mean and you know, that's a great gift as an athlete to know how you feel because it's a very feeling sport, isn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the mm. feedback loop all the time and he seems to have a, like, sensible head on his shoulders. And, and you know, the, the, the coach was, you know, very liberating what he said. I made a mistake. I was like, wow, I like that. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah. And when, when, when people admit to making mistakes, you know, you think they're very reflective, you know, and, and, and when you make mistakes... You make amends for their mistakes because they're learning they're learning opportunities and you know we're always taught you know oh don't make mistakes oh no mistakes is what make us you know what i mean it's That's all trial and error yeah yeah, yeah so. 
That's right. I must thank Matthew. He got me up at half one in the morning there to watch our, our good friend David Devine finish fourth, which was a disappointment, but at the same time he gave it his best. And I said to Matthew, can't we just watch this when we have our breakfast in the morning? But... Um, no, we've got to get up got, and be a part of it, haven't we? Half one that's, that, that's really good. And, you know, he, he, he's your team. And D- David said to me, I bet you wish you hadn't bothered now. <laughs> <laughs> he's such a... He's got a great sense of humour, David. He has, yeah. And, but he's a great looking runner as well. He's got, like, a really good running technique. He's, like, relaxed. And, and, and he's, he's, he's made some great inroads into the times this year. You know, yeah. I've, I've, I mean, I raced against him in the 5K in the, uh, the Northerns and he... He won that, yeah. and I was like, "Wow!" He, and, I, and I was on the back of the group at like three k, and then I blew a gasket, and he, he went on and won it. Yeah. And it was great to see, you know what I mean. And, and obviously, you know, I've got a, a a real close connection to Tony as well, who's 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 the influencer, and you know, who's the motivator and the coach, you know what I mean. So, so you know, I, I I'm a, I'm a massive believer in you know we all plagiarize everyone else's work. We all do that. That's how we that's how we learn. Yeah. You know what I mean. But you know what? If it's for the force of good. It's a brilliant thing, you know what I mean, and and you see the the fruits of that labour, and you know, it just shows David's mindset. If he finishes fourth and he thinks it's a, a failure, you know that's personal to him. That's his that's his decision, isn't it? But you know, we look at that and we go, you know what, you you you're a bit of a hero, really, aren't you? You know what I mean, and you know you're immersed in that because he's your teammate. You know, when I've only had. Two or three. John Joe said he should have been he shouldn't have been allowed back on the plane to be fair. Oh well that's about <laughs> John Joe, you know what I mean? But that's but that but that's banter and I like that because it keeps and it, he sounds like I, I don't know David personally, but you know, I, I I look at it as like, you know I'm I'm not one of these who will like hero worship anyone, but I won't look down on anyone as well. So I'm like quite a balanced person who's like I don't lift I don't ever have the expectations of anyone being a hero or I don't look at people who are who are not not living their lives as best they can, and I don't look down on them. So that I think that's a little bit of my background, a little bit. So I don't get the expectations up about you know people who are doing great things as a personal thing, but the performance side of things, I look at and I go, well, that's that's good, that's inspirational, that's a really good thing that's happened. But I don't know David Divine as much as <coughs> you've known from running and stuff like yeah. that, but. The interactions I've had with him have always been positive, and he's a, he, 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 he comes across as a, a very humble and, and, and you know, funny lad as well. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you but, one thing about it, he's got a great sense of humor. Oh, yeah, yeah. but he's, he's, quite, he's a quieter sort of scouser, yeah, but he's got a, a wicked sense of humor. And, and, and saying his, his, his humble side was, was obviously that night we stayed up to watch, it was the day after the Mid Cheshire 5k, and so obviously Dave, I think, had taken himself off social media, obviously. You know, in the Olympics, the Paralympics, taking his, you know, stay away from it while he was there. But obviously, post race, he, he'd gone on and so he's seen that John Joe in the in the WhatsApp groups and stuff like that had had your your breakthrough of the season really with that fourteen fifty, and um, you know, he straight away was a, a message to you saying that uh, you know he, he was proud of you the the run of that and stuff like that. So you know, so you know, if you're a teammate to you and things like that, it's very uh, hear, isn't very, it? You know, it's uh, very humbling. Is that the right word when you get a message from these guys who are who are Certainly, um, on another level, you know, got fellas who are going to the Olympics. Um, it's it's the elite level, yeah. And to get messages off of of chaps like that, Marty McLaughlin, Jeff Smith, yeah. all those characters who we've met and and they send messages of support. Yeah, I'm really, uh, it's really inspiring. Yeah, I think. I I I think you know, 
with 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 David going to the Paralympics, I think he'd been a couple. Has he been before as well? I think he, he won a medal in June 2012, yeah. a bronze medal. I think. Yeah. So, so, so he has been there and done yeah. it before, and he still has chance to go again. I think it's three years time. Yeah. He'd be 32, so maybe he still have a chance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, age is no barrier, is it? You know, no. as long as you're motivated. Yeah. And, 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 and then perhaps he could move up to the marathon, maybe, or you know, that's, in yeah. later and still have a chance. Yeah, that's up to yeah. him, isn't it? You know, be 36, he's 36 by. LA. Okay. Well, yeah. right. That's not too so, old you know what I mean? No, not for the marathon. Well, that soon, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Talking about uh, your, your ambitions, Tony, and most recently, you say it's now on the back burner, but as a 50-year-old, uh, I was very impressed and, and to hear you, you've, you've had some successes in those categories at 45, you've had successes, but at 50, you were aiming looking at the the british veteran record for 5k which is 14.59 yeah i think um, the british record's actually 15 minutes and then bang on bang on 15 minutes shane healy at armar in 2019 ran 14.59 so in my mind it was always that's that's a goal that's a goal that i'm gonna look to try and do how it panned out this year was possibly because of the lockdown that mm. It went a different way. It was always get into after the endurance phase to try and go into a couple of five Ks. But early season when things started opening up and did the fast five K. I mean, there was an opportunity at that fast five K, but the weather was one degree. It was freezing and it was blowing a gale. Yeah. And they ended up running fifteen thirty one. Was Ashton? Was that Ashton? Uh, Ashton, yeah. yeah. That, it's, it's, it's a nightmare around at the Three Sisters. I don't know why they're choosing that course whatsoever. I know. I know. Yeah. But, well, that's my hometown, so it's uh, yeah. you know I know what it's like. And when I saw they were putting it there, I thought. So so for, so for me, it was, all, it was opportunities to get on courses that could have been ratified to do world best attempts. Mm. And I knew I was in fifteen ten shape. I knew I was in very decent shape. I was in fifteen twenty four shape just before Christmas on just endurance. I'd honed the quality a little bit up until March and then I got to the point where it was like, you know what, if the weather's kind here, I'll be going for, you know, 15 minutes. I was I still wasn't prepared, but I did it off a good bank of endurance. So I knew I can run quite well off that. So I knew I was in 15, 10 to 15, 15 shape. Mm. Um, but as it pans out, it was so, you know, it was so windy. And, and, and sometimes, you know, you, you say, oh, the, the, the wind is on your back as well. But, you, you, you know, we're talking about, you know, if you were doing that on a cycling perspective, you know, when you've got the wind behind you and you're going 15 mile an hour, you've got no, you've got no aid. But when you're running a 15 mile an hour or, or whatever speed you're doing, yeah, yeah. and you're hitting a 15 mile an hour wind, you've got like the blunt force of 30 mile an hour. So that was happening every lap for five laps, and it was very, very strong. And you know, there was loads of peers around me. I had like a, a very 45 lad who's like a world, world champ 1500 runner Dean Richardson and I had to get rid of him in the last lap and there was a couple of lads who were made mates over in Leeds who were you know pondering to try and beat me you know what I mean and I ran it really well I ran strong and then I just thought there's not enough opportunities to go for that so I just flipped me, me thinking and thought okay I'm going to start attacking the track times because it's a definitive you know no one can no one can question the track you know, you can still have bad bad weather days yeah, yeah, and I've got bad yeah. weather days. But on a on a road race, it's it can be, you know, you could have an out and back course where you've got a tailwind going out and then a tailwind coming back. You know, it, it's so where that's why they used to call them world bests, because you know, you can't really compare yeah, performances yeah. on roads that are, are like, 
you know, compared to a track. And, and on track, sometimes you can't, you know what I mean? I mean, I know that we've got the, the shoe issue and stuff like that now, which is, you know, I've got a perspective on that as well. But, you know... Tell us your perspective. That, well, the, please. The, the perspective for the shoe issue is, is that, you know, I've got no... You know, I, I've got a balanced view on it, basically. So, so you know, the genie's out the bottle. So, so what has happened is, is that the technology has got that advanced that, you know, when you wear them, there is a, a performance aid. So let's call it a performance aid. So I've got no way, I've got, you know, and it, it's happened too quickly. So, so people in the past who have got legacy times and, you know, legacy performances, they're finding it very difficult to compare with the, the present. Mm. So, so it's just a, a personal thing. To, to compare with the present, with the past is, you know, you can be, you can be, uh, you can be quite negative about it and go, you know what, um, if I'd have had them shoes, I'd have ran this, but you know what, you didn't have, you, you didn't have Cindy, you still had Tartan tracks. So what I'd say is, is that probably, if you were looking at 100% as in performance aid, right, it's sort of a, a nature and a performance aid, so or a nature and nature side. So I'd say, and this is my argument, 95% of people are, are unequal for 95% of, you know, genealogy, your genes, the environment you're training, the immersive knowledge that you've got around you. You know, some people are, are, are immersed with great knowledge, you know what I mean? Like this podcast, you've got guests on here who are like, you know, world renowned runners you know what i mean you've got like you've had you've had charlie on you've had you've had jeff smith on you've had marty on you know you've had Anne williams on you've had world class athletes yeah, on. Yeah. yeah you've immersed with that so so if you've got if you're lucky enough to be in an area of somebody with that knowledge and experience you've got an advantage regardless of and that's environmental advantage so what i'd say is is that you know don't be don't you know the performance aid side of it is that you know I've never had I've never had access to altitude training. I've never had access to you know. Luckily enough, I got access to knowledgeable people who 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 were great around me, and, and I had that immersive, you know, knowledge and experience around me that I could learn from. But you know, people I, I think Tim Hutchins said you know, their God given gift you know, and, and and I'm like more loosely you know loosely I'd say I'm, I'm more of an atheist now, even though I was brought up as a Catholic. I'd probably say, you know what, God-given rights is that is that a nature thing? Okay, so nature's nature's the the, the the be all and end all. You know what I mean? So we might as well, you know, oh, you've got better genes than me. Let's stop. Let's. Running's not about that. <coughs> Running's about each person's journey. So I look at it and say, it's never been equal, but that's what makes it fun. It's never been equal, but you yeah. know what? It's not equal, but I'm going to try and equal it by doing as much as I can in my environment. And that's the struggle. And that's the journey. Mm -hmm. So these performance aids things, they're only 95%. They're only 5% of the of the full picture. Mm -hmm. But there's always been performance aids there. The problem is, is that the response to them performance aids are unknown. And when you've got it unknown, yeah, yeah. per personal person, mm -hmm. then people start going, they don't deserve that. They don't deserve that. And that's the opinion they have. They don't deserve that. Wait there. <coughs> they don't deserve it. Why don't they deserve it? Because you know what? They might have that performance aid there, but that 95% might be fully less immersive and not performance enhancing that you've always had. You've yeah, always yeah. had them. So but, so here's the thing, you can't have both. Yeah. You, know, you can't have natural environments and God given genes to, to be, you know, that's who God selected. 
let's all pack in then. Let's 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 go and find a the, the ideal runner, man, ideal runner woman, ideal runner, you know, what 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 whatever category you wanna you wanna pin on them, and let's just let them run around the track and we'll watch it and it'll be great. Sport's not about that. It's about competing, it's about health and well being, it's about having that immersiveness and collectiveness with everyone who runs. So, you know, it's like a you know, enjoyment factor. So what happens then is that people start a little bit protecting the legacies because you know I've the <coughs> thing with me is I've span that category yeah yeah and I'm, I'm, I'm here now so so my answer to that is yeah it was not thought out well it probably wasn't you know it's probably a too big a jump but the problem is back in the day didn't have social media did we didn't have polarised things well that's the, the, so for, for me the thing with uh, with it all and um, I've been thinking about it even more lately uh, especially when they talk about because they talk about there's people who who adapt better to the shoes than there is other people and they won't know and I was thinking on it because I was chatting to um, it was Ra- Rachel Furkle who we've had on the show she posted she finished second in the, the BTR 10 miler last, last Sunday and the I think the winner of that in the women's race said to her, oh, you need to get yourself a pair of Nikes. You'll run miles better in a pair of Nikes. And she was in a pair of, pair of the, the Brooks Hyperion Tempos, which is the training shoe, to be fair, from, from Brooks. And so she posted asking, like, you know, in, in, in the closed group sort of thing, just what were people's thoughts? Did they, did they think they really made that much of a difference? Because she's always just thought, well, maybe they don't, you know. And I started thinking about it because I started, I, I started replying. And actually, like, from a physics perspective... I mean, from a, from a technology perspective, what what happened in, and how it you know sort of how it changed things is the technologies existed. There were just three separate technologies. That then what they did was they went well. Actually, if we combine all three of these, it's going to do something different. So carbon plates were around in the nineties and they've been on spikes for years and years. Big stack height foams have, have only recently sort of come out with the likes of Hoker and things like that. But they're usually they're designed to take out the impact and help sort of you know older runners or sort of new runners feel comfort and everything that sort of idea concept well and obviously then you've got an lightweight a lightweight shoe so race shoes were used to be stripped back nothing of them because the only way to make them lightweight was to just take everything out of them but now you've got lightweight foams that you can put tons of on the bottom of a shoe and it's still lightweight okay well that's great Ooh, but it's really wobbly and unstable now because we need to stabilize that oh well, if we took this carbon plate and stuck it in the middle of it that's then stabilized okay and then the, the, the after effect of that is obviously then you put this carbon plate in there. Now that's only been put in there to stabilise the shoe, but actually it then acts like a spring if a runner can put enough force on it to bend the shoe. Now a lightweight runner or a female runner, because Rachel was the one asking the question, unless she's really sort of like the top end, the more the faster they're going to go, they're going to be able to apply more force and therefore get the spring-like motion out of it. So for your elites in the, women, in the, in the women's category, that's going to work or if they're a heavier woman that's going to work as well because they're going to be able to they're applying more force yeah. but for a lightweight woman who isn't elite level actually they're not going to get that much benefit from it because they're not actually going to be able to apply that much force onto the plate to get any spring from it they're going to get the the recovery benefit and the impact benefit of the foams but they're not going to get the plate benefit yeah. same on the men's side obviously a more powerful i was i was then thinking the, me and john joe in comparison of the type of builds we are as runners so john joe's got the more you know, traditional classical sort of distance runner build, whereas I'm a little bit more stocky, a little bit more muscular. Um, and then, you know, when you think of the shoes, again, I'm more powerful build. So when we hit cross country, John Joe can wipe the floor with me because you can just float over that mud, you can get away around and stuff like that. I hit the mud and I sink straight into it. But then on the road in the plated shoes, 
well, I am applying more force, so I'm getting more spring out of that plate yeah. than John Joe's going to get because he's not going to get as much force through the shoe. Yeah. Um, and so again, that's going to differ. And obviously, you know, obviously the thing we were saying, like the bigger runners, heavier runners are going to get more force out, but they're then going to be fighting their own body weight and their own fitness level at that body weight sort of thing. So you've, you, you've got to look at, at that. And then obviously, you know, every brand's now got their own version. So it's all out there. So that is equalized it. Yeah. And, you know, the, the biggest argument that, that I still see around sometimes is like, well, they, they cost so much. They're so expensive, these shoes. And I always like laugh at that one because I'm thinking, well, well, yeah. But then the elites that are being sponsored and getting it, like have, you know, have the, the freedom to go to training camps or they have altitude tents or they have this and that and sort of thing. They physio, free, you know, physio every day, whatever they are. Well, us at the sort of sub-elite level that are trying to break through, well, £200 for a pair of shoes is pretty much, is, is an affordable thing if it's going to give us that little bit to try and break into that world. Because yeah. we can't take, you know, six months six six months off to go altitude training sort of thing or, that's, that's, you know, do that. And so we're, th- that 5% that you're saying, that's where we're finding that little bit of balance to try and get ourselves into that realm where because we're doing the we're doing all the training the same we're still you know under my weeks or whatever hitting the track twice three times a week and things and all the cross trade and all the rest of it but you know we've then got to how, how do we you know we haven't got the freedom to then get ourselves to that next level unless we just packed in and and went for it which is a in the world that we live in where money is sort of what runs us and manages us is a little bit of a daunting thing to do for for most i mean obviously the you got the robinson brothers who 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 went and moved to Kenya and just uh, yeah and did it sort of you know they they took yeah. that risk sort of thing but you know I, I, I think what I mean we I think we all recognise that there is a, a performance advantage for individuals I think the correlation is that women have got a more when they tested them over the marathon I think yeah. women have got like a three point eight percent you know advantage of time um, development you know and that's you know. And I meant with something like about 2.7 seconds or something like 2.7% time increase. So, you know, for me, it's like, you know, I'm not, when, when, when I see the future, the, the generation now, and I've ran like 14.01 for 5K back in the day in 2001, and I, I just wore conventional spikes, and, and, and that's fine, you know what I mean? And, and, and I didn't have the 95% benefits, but I had, you know, enough benefits for me to be happy and satisfied yeah. and not have any angst or, or, or you know contempt for anything or anyone or or any resentment so i i look back at that experience and said you know what i didn't have everything in place but i tried my best within the environment that i lived in and and and, and i look back and i say i enjoyed the experience because i shared it with people and, and i enjoyed that so we all i think we all acknowledge that yeah there is that perspective. But everyone now, there is an advantage with wearing them. And maybe that's the fatigue-busting side of it because we know, you know, especially in a marathon, when you get fatigued, if they have absorbed all the, you know, the breakdown of cell structure within your muscles yeah, and your yeah. bones and in all that dynamics, you know, you might get to, you know, you might you might gain the advantage by just, you know, the fatigue-busting element yeah. of them. And I've found that. I've found that I don't train hard on the road now Without using the 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 the, the super shoes as they call them, yeah. I, I've got a problem with them calling them cheat shoes because you know what the fundamentals are not cheats. If they were if they were cheating, they'd be like you know they've got something in them that no one else has got. You know you're cheating the system. You're not cheating the system. The system has just got to the situation where it's caused this polarization yeah, yeah. of thought. So when I go <laughs> and I see a performance, 
it doesn't spoil it for me. I, I like watching live athletics, and you know what? Without the shoe technology, the immersive, you know, and whether I believe it or not, you know, I used to watch Tour de France, and I loved the experience of watching Tour de France. But there's a cynical part of my brain that there's dopamine's prevalent. The system's not 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 fit for purpose. Whistleblowers generally are the ones who who, who get all the all the uh, the dopamine. Um, ring bleeds out of it but it's 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 a closed shop so you can be cynical and you can just make a mental adjustment to that but you know what there's art form in running there's an art yeah. form in sport so I just enjoyed the art form but you know what there's still a cynic there there's still a mental adjustment so when I've done all these times in the past and I see people running times now I don't compare myself I don't go you know what if I'd have been living now I'd have been doing that because you know what luckily enough I've spanned them generations and I'm actually, you know, using the technology. I've used the technology the second half of the season on the track. First half of the season, I didn't. I just yeah. used conventional uh, Nike Matumbo. Right. But Nike Matumbo are still, you know, they still got the form in, but they're, yeah, not, yeah. they're not classed as super shoe, are they? No, no. So I, out of necessity, I couldn't get a super shoe. So, but I was happy for the first half of the season to attack records without the super shoe because it was like, you know what? I've worked on so many different aspects of myself yeah. from a physiological point of view that, you know what, I'm going to be brave and I'm going to go, you know what, I'm going to train. And, and there was sometimes in the past where I was training and then I was on the verge of getting injured because I wasn't strong enough. So it gave me the incentive to get my strength program in place that I knew that I could wear the non-conventional spikes or the, the, well, the conventional spikes to the super shoes and then... Basically, I had to break halfway through the season and then wore the super shoes. And, you know, whether it was anecdotal or not, I broke one record without the super shoes early on, the mile record for 50, and then I broke the 3K. But I attempted the 3K early on in the summer without the super shoes and felt like six seconds short, but got the pacing wrong and the weather wasn't conducive and just totally messed it up. Yeah, and then yeah. broke it with the, with the super shoes later on. But, you know, I'd say to myself, you know, I justified it in my mind a little bit to say, you know what? I knew it was in great shape. I ran 8.55 for 3K without the super shoes. Yeah, yeah. And I got the pacing terribly wrong. I got the perfect pacing going with the super shoes. And, and I ran PBs, vet PBs over 800 previous to that with the super shoes. So, you know, it was like, for me, it was like two sides of the coin. You know what? I've proven to myself that, you know, it's, it's the 95%, that's the strong bit. And you know what? If I've got any performance advantage there, so what? Yeah, you know yeah. what? I broke a 20-year-old record over 3,000 metres. I got close to it, went on the fifth all-time without the super shoes, but got it wrong. And I didn't have the speed development at that point than I did in the second half of the season when I got the super shoes. So it's all anecdotal, isn't it? So, But you know what? People can make assumptions and say this, that, and the other. It doesn't matter. It's personal to me. Yeah. I, I, I know what I've done. I know what my journey was. Yeah, yeah. And the people and my peers are close to me know my journey. And that's what's more important to me than the detractors and you know what if they, if they don't respect that that's fine it's up to them I respect it doesn't matter yeah right I've got another book for you <laughs> <laughs> John Jones John Jones looking a bit tired do you isn't he? Is it? I know you only did like 13 this morning <laughs> <laughs> I'm only 24 here like a... peanuts you know cashew <laughs> nuts I think uh, you need a bit you need a bit of protein right forget the shoes people here's Kenneth Williams <laughs> I've got you another book. Um, I'm glad you both stopped there for breath. I've got Kenneth Williams. <laughs> what does he mean to you, Tony? 
Kenneth Williams. So, John John, when you come into the house, he, he basically has got a uh, library of books on the floor that he, he wants to <laughs> he wants to offload, <laughs> and, 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 and and he's he's like putting them up in your face, <laughs> and and you're like, okay, what is going to pique my interest, right? But weirdly enough, I mean, you know, I watched the Carry On films back in the day, and and and, and you know, Kenneth Williams was always like the effeminate, you know. Saucy sort of double entendre sort of fella in the in 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 them in them thing, but I was on Twitter about eight months ago, nine months ago, and some of his um, interviews were on Twitter and some of his stories were on Twitter, and I just loved the theatrics of his performance, even when he's just getting interviewed and and, and how his mannerisms are, and and it makes me chuckle, it makes me happy, it gives me joy to see, you know other people around him feeding off him as well and, and, and how he tells the story. So it was more of a, a visual audio thing with, with Kenneth Williams and I don't know nothing about him. I don't know nothing about his life, etc. All I've seen is that, you know, he's a product of me seeing something visually that made me happy and content to look at him and say, oh, he's, he makes me laugh and, and I, listen, I could listen to him all day because he's got that voice and the tone of voice and, you know, the inflection in his words. And, and I like that. So when I seen it, it was just like, oh, you know, and, and it was called the complete acid drop. So I'm assuming, you know, it's got some sort of, you know, it's got some sort of them anecdotes that he was talking about in the interview. Yeah. So it's a good insight, you know what I mean? But like you say, it's not like someone who was like, oh, you know what? I've always been looking for these Kenneth William boots, you know, one of them. But, but what's great about it is that, you know, I'm now like, just because I've seen something visually and it piqued me interest. Yeah. When, when I've come here, there's like, oh, we did. I'll have a little read about that because you know what I like that but let me see what the story is a little bit behind and if it's just anecdotal and it just takes me away and I have that little bit of escapism I'm all for it you know what I mean so thanks very much for that John John very welcome and now the proud owner of Kenneth Williams um, he tickles me as well I, I, from the carry on uh, what would you films. call them the films, the films, films yeah. for the, those who are listening and are unaware we have a huge fan base in India. So, uh, it was Slovakia Ken- last week, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, we, we, we fluctuate. <laughs> <laughs> There's no continuity here. What's going on? The audience figures seem to be fluctuating between India and, and Slovakia. What's going on here? Well, I think it's to do with the fact that we're interested in, in um, well, Lao Tzu and those very deep sort of, uh, sort of, uh, what are they, gurus, I think, um, the Indian listenership um, falls into that category. Anyway, moving on. Inner city Liverpool being brought up. See, look at the time. It's just flying by here. We've not even really started the show. But we have. We have. We've, we've discussed a number of topics. By the way, I do have an opinion on um, on super shoes. I don't want to go into it, but I think when you make comparisons, it's the, a mistake that we all fall into making comparisons. For example, George Best with, let's say, uh, Lionel Messi I've heard guys on the bin wagon argue about that you know best was far better but no you can't compare can you? you've got Casey football on the one hand you've got a flyaway balloon on the other hand which when you kick I've, I bought one uh, recently I kicked it and it went oh I thought unbelievable like you know mm-hmm. we could all score goals from the halfway line with those things you can't make the comparison what you do what a progressive person would do is say you, you judge the current crop and you, you, you support support the best at the, at the time. They're all up against other uh, one another with the same means. For example, 
any athlete who wears one of those particular shoes, it's got to be on the shelf. So you, you can, it's available and they all go out there, give it the best. And, and that's, I think that's what progressive, but I'm not progressive. I also fall into cynicism and, and, and comparisons and, and that's human nature. Yes, that's why. Yeah. No, no, all, all, by the way, all opinions are, are valid. I've got no issue with that. It's just that my opinion is... I like your opinion, by the way. It's, it's a middle ground opinion. It's a very it's, good it's a, middle it's a, ground. Yeah, it's, it's like a, right. a sitting on the face, but you know, it's like sitting on the fence, but you know what? I'm spanning that era. I've been there. I've, I've, I've done the legacy times mm. and I'm doing legacy times at this age. So I see from both perspectives. But and you then know you what? get the current crop, by the way, who criticise the, the um, yeah. what do you call them, the, the classical athletes of yesteryear and say, well, those courses were all bloody short. Because the, the, the way they judge that is they say, well, how can you run faster on the road when your track time is only way down there? And they, they do, they scrutinise that. Some of the current, then they, that's another mistake. You fall into the cynicism again. There's, there's no absolute. Leave it alone. There's no absolute. Is that, you know, we don't know the circumstances. We don't know the absolutes. We don't know the, the, the factual evidence around that. So all it is is it's basically going, oh, you're, you're throwing, you're, you're, we're playing tennis. Yeah, there's, there's my little barb to you. Oh, yeah, you can have that back. Yeah. And what it is is it's like, you know, we're having an argument here. You know what I mean? And it's getting a little bit petty. But you know what? You know, I lived through the 80, 80s, running, late 80s running phenomena. You know, the 90s, little bit of a, you know, it was starting to go a little bit slower because of certain things. You know, athletes' performance was going because there was a divergence of different things happening in the world, etc., and different sports. And, you know, and, and, but, but what I'd say is that, you know what? I look around now and I see people happy and I see people's performing happy. And I've seen people performing happy back in the day. It's just different areas. But you know what? Health and well-being is the most important thing. If they're enjoying the, that, that, if they want to wear the shoe technology and they're enjoying it, happy for them. You know what I mean? It's a personal decision. But you know what? If they, you want to be a, stuck in your little conspiracy box and you know and and, and and surround yourself with you know the the unjustness of this. You know what I mean? You're not really enjoying the immersive sides of. Of enjoying athletics are you so you know i've got that an analogy you know it's an art form we enjoy the art form we celebrate the art form we don't know what's behind that art form sometimes and we take it on face value but the cynic in me will say historically we've had cheats we've had people who've booked the system you know what and you just take a mental note of that and you might take a mental note of the performance aids that we've got now take a mental note and i'll adjust but you know what does it make it any more happy to do what you do and, and get the performance out that you do for me it's it's exactly the same as back in the 80s back in the 90s now I, i'm enjoying the performance just as much well said tell me yesterday I, I actually want to talk about yesterday the sixth stage you mean where uh, you uh, the liverpool harriers finished second merseyside team home at the uh, northern road relay is that one yeah i want to acknowledge <laughs> the, the success of liverpool Pembroke finishing eighth um, out of about 96 teams yep. tell us about the history of this sixth stage because I'm still unaware of this, this sixth stage you know but I know the guys around me are very passionate and I, I took on that passion and I, I got uh, got involved and um, the top 25 teams qualified for the Nationals in Birmingham yep. and by the way we were discussing your greatest perhaps performance and you were saying to me back in 20 odd years ago 97 when Ken Doherty won the World Snooker World Championship. <laughs> and then <it's> Doherty. <laughs> Is it Doherty or Doherty? Doherty, Doherty. Doherty, yeah. yeah. That's the way to say I think. Um, picked him up on my taxi once. Um, 97, you ran the third fastest 
leg in the national six stage. Now that is quite an achievement. By the way, Sunny St. Helens didn't even get a team down to the the, 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 the six stage in Red Kites today. Um, and they've got lots of people around in the area. You know, they've got two clubs and they didn't get one blessed team into Red Car. And that's disappointing. But I think it's disappointing because they don't see the, the value, the importance of the sixth stage, maybe. What's going on there? There's something about that, isn't there, Tony? Well, well I, th- I think... I, well, I'm not speaking, speaking for Sutton, I suppose. As the chairman of Sutton. As the chairman of Sutton. There we go. Here's the tennis ball. You know, we, 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 got, we, we got to have our ass kicked off Liverpool Pembroke. But Sutton wasn't there, so I'm diverting, I'm diverting away here now. You know what I mean? I'm only messing You know, I, I, I'm a bit torn. You know, I've got a, a lot of affection for Liverpool Harriers as well. You know, they're massively. Was that your my, first club, by the no, way? No, it was actually Liverpool Pembroke in 1981 when I was when I was just 11. In, 11 yeah. So I joined Liverpool Pembroke in 1981 when I first started senior school. So, yeah. believe it or not, no, not a lot of people understand because they associate me with Liverpool Harriers from when I was there in 1985 onwards to 1999. That I was always a Liverpool Harrier because I was predominantly at my peak running for Liverpool Harriers and then onto Morpeth for a little bit. But Liverpool Pembroke was actually my first first athletics club. In eighty one, would would Marty McLaughlin have been around at the time? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Was he coming towards the end of his career, or is still? No, no, he was prominent. He was, he, prominent he, yeah. he was start become prominent. Then I think he was that very was dominated at that time. Well, I don't know. I'm eighty one. Sure. You'd have been eleven. Well, I'd have been eleven. Eighty one, eighty two. I was I was training at Kirby. And he was probably at Kirby at that time as well. Yeah. So yeah, that 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 probably fit into some of the history part of what you want to talk about. But like, you, I think we're. Well, know, Marty, Marty, uh, he gave me an impression that I suppose when you started to really develop yourself, that would be then his the end of his career, uh, as you were coming on the scene and, and punching through, you know. Uh, but that you're only eleven though when when you first walked in the door, and he's still very prominent to that. Yeah, time. but I wasn't I wasn't aware so much about you know senior athletes at that point I was just immersing myself with, with a, 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 one of my best mates who I grew up with and his older brother who won the, um, the English schools who, who, who trained under a coach called Charlie Whiteside um, and I was just you know I had a little bit of imposter syndrome you know I was just like a little slugger who used to run around the streets of Liverpool and you know and luckily enough we had like four or five people in our tenement block who actually were in Liverpool Harriers or Liverpool Pembroke so they brought me, they seen some sort of nurturing technique to say, come up to the Kirby and you, you're a good runner. You, I never see you stop running, so come up to there. And that's how I got introduced to that sort of, you know, group. But what it was, you know, when I go into that group, like everyone, you, you, you're off the back, aren't you? You know, you, you're just a non-entity. You're just like, I just want to, I just want to fit in. I just want to fit in. So Liverpool Pembroke was the first insight into, you know, the structure of athletics as a young no. athlete. And, 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 you know, I enjoyed it. It, it finished rather funnily um, with, a, with, a, with an upturned hurdle on Kirby track. The lights were with dim at one point and there was an upturned hurdle and I'd gone into lane two to get around someone and I hit this hurdle and... and, and, and um, when you say upturned, it was, it was on its side, was it? Or it was just on its side. So I... I, I you I, didn't I, see it? I didn't see it and, and, and I hit it with my shin and it gashed my shin. So I was like upset. I was only a kid, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, well, you're about 15 now. No, I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I was only 11. I was, I was 11 Sorry, or 12. Yeah. So, yeah. so that then, you know, it was like a bad experience and it, I had to take time to heal. And then I lost my way a little bit in that respect. So it only lasted for like 12 months that I was in right. Bill Pembroke then. And then 
I was just multi-sport then all the way through but I'll, I can talk about that but I think reverting back to the sixth stage I think that's an important juncture to start off with because that's probably one of the things that I thrived at and it's because of me past yeah, I think I've realised something about this six stages if you're committed to, to working with the team is so important for me certainly I know some people say they can train on their own I think for me like those long runs um, are really important I've got people around me who can push me on and, and if I did, it, did them on my own I'd struggle you know so what I realised yesterday was getting that team together and getting down there working together fighting for each other what that now gives us is it's not the fact that we qualify that's nice to go to Birmingham but what it gives is that team spirit to work together through the winter and develop even stronger. I think that's the importance which perhaps some of the teams in St. Helens are missing out on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from a, from a Liverpool Arias point of view, you know, you've been very successful in respect of recent history in the relays, you know what I mean? Mm. And back in the early 80s, it was like, there was, and the 70s, there was a great success on the national 12 stage and the six stage back in the day. Um, and you've recaptured them times in the 2010s, you know what I mean? So you had really, I think you've finished, you might have finished seconds or something in the, in the national uh, national 12 stage, and I think you won the Northern 12 stage a couple of times. So, you know, there was a resurgence. So you are like the, you know, from our perspective, we're like a sleeping giant a little bit, and there's like, we've got athletes now coming through, and we've got like that collective group mentality that Mark Bleasdale's fostered. And, and, and it's great, you know, and, and you're saying the same thing. That's what relays do for you. Is that what it's all about then? At the essence, it's about getting that team together to promote the, to, the togetherness, which will take you through those periods of. Definitely, I think I think the, you know from a from a relay perspective, mm. you know, there's no individual in, in no. a relay. It's basically you've got to because you're under pressure. And that's my, my and that's the as you say that's the contrast to, to athletics is that athletics in, in general is such a, is such an individual sport, but when it comes to the relays, it's it then becomes that that team and obviously if that's the team is, you, is you, your group that you train with and things like that then you've got that that real thing to bring everyone along because otherwise you know you you, you win it as a team you don't win it as an individual though like you, you see teams where there is you know one or two runners that they might have and they have great runs on the day but yeah. they're never going to take the titles or anything like that and it's and you've got that, to have the, the strength that transfers then perhaps potentially to their development within the setup you know their setup perhaps isn't as strong and you're not I mean, I'm progressing now, running as well as I've ever ran because I believe that this group is much stronger uh, and, and the coach and, and surrounding, immersing yourself within that body, yeah. bringing you forward. Well, my mother said to me this morning, she called in, give me a bit of grief as she does, and um, she said to me, well, what do you win? You know, in this, this, I said, well, we, we've no chance of winning, sadly, but we, we'd have won a sword, a sword. What to to and then they made a few jibes, you know, about sort of. My father mentioned uh, anyway. I won't go into the jokes, but it wasn't about the sword, was it, Tony? No, it's about the collectiveness in it and, and, and the team dynamic. And I I have won the sword. The sword's the national one. You won uh, you the Morpeth. Yeah, I won the, I won that in two thousand with with Morpeth Harriers. And did you go to Morpeth for that reason to win the sword? yeah there was a little bit of that I think I was moving to Marathons and I don't think there was enough people locally and I wasn't coached at that point I was self-coached at that point and there was more access to the likes of Jimmy Alder who was a, and, and Lindsay Dawn and 
Dave Cannon was up in, in, in Cumbria, but you know, there was more people up there. It was like, I was like a big fish in a little pond, I suppose, in Liverpool areas at that time. You know, I was like, you know, there was really good athletes around, but there wasn't, you know, I was winning cross country races by two minutes at some point. And, and, and it was like, you know, Marty had gone at that point and, you know, there was like, I was probably for four or five years, the strongest athlete over variance distances from maybe 3K, 5K right up to the marathon. So it was just at that point where Liverpool had a little bit of a dirge in the team mentality sort of thing. So we were struggling to get teams out. So At Liverpool Harriers. At Liverpool Harriers in 99. So I'd, I'd run London Marathon in 99 and a week later, ran the fifth fastest um, short stage in 99. And then at that point, um, it was like, it was getting a bit, you know, the teams were just they were arguing amongst themselves who was getting picked and the, it, we were struggling to get teams and there was no cohesiveness, no one was training together. And I had a connection with the Hudspit brothers who were like, Ian went to Liverpool University and we, we were always close anyway, so we trained together when he was here. So I always had that common connection with Ian. So I said, you know what, you know, I, I always liked the group sort of thing. So I suppose Morpeth gave me more of a team dynamic, but also supplemented the needs of what I needed from a, uh, uh, getting advice on the marathon side of things because mm. you know there was a couple of opportunities I might have missed here with the knowledge and experience. So I was I then went into a club where I was like maybe three or fourth on, in the pecking order, which was great. You know, it was like I'd gone from like changing the dynamic where, it, it, like you say, being individualistic and being on your own and not having anyone alongside you who can challenge you to going into that like ground in the stage where you've actually got like Commonwealth third men medalists like Mark Hudspeth and you know national class you know uh, international athletes like Ian Hudspeth and, and, and then you had all the supplementary lads who were similar ability to me and it was just nice being in that team dynamic and we had loads of team trips and we won successful relays and you know I, I, I love that element of things and I think I'd had that with Liverpool areas and I loved that part of Liverpool areas and then I think that was the draw that got me away because the team dynamic had finished a little bit in Liverpool and there was no energy there anymore, but Morpeth were building the energy again, and, and it was like, and I had that common connection. So, you know, I never took it lightly, by the way, you know, it was like four or five months of like deliberating, but you know, when mm -hmm. I ran the relay, and I don't think, I don't even know if we finished the team in 99, but I was like on second leg or something like that, or I think I was on second leg or something, yeah, when I ran like 14, 15, and I was like fifth fastest overall. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've tried my hardest, I've run, run my best. And, and then everyone's us in the team, you know what I mean? We had that, but it was like, it was a bit disjointed and it was just like, I've got to do something different. You know, I was 29 then, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't a kid anymore and I'd done all the relays from back when I was 17, 18. So yeah, yeah. I think, you know, but like you say, from a Liverpool Harry's point of view, you know, I'll always hold them in, in, in high esteem, you know, they, they, they were a massive part of my development, you know what I mean? And all the good people around there, you know, and, the coaches and the setup and you know I had some great experiences with them you know what I mean and you know got to enjoy the journey with loads of people you know what I mean and still have continuity back to loads of people so when I see the Liverpool Harriers vest you know I don't look at them as competitors I look at them as like comrades you know what I mean yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. I suppose it's like a, a, an area thing isn't it but you know that's part yeah. of my history so I'll never stop loving that history you know what I mean so here's an interesting point in the sixth stage yesterday the gentleman who was about to set me off he said to me I'll tap you on the shoulder, but he didn't. He didn't tap me on the shoulder, and I wondered about this because I thought, well, you can't forget to tap someone on the shoulder, and he he definitely didn't, and I probably lost a second because he didn't tap me on the shoulder, and um, 
one of the guys was saying, oh, it's the hate, the hate scams, it's the hate Liverpool and all this. There's no truth in that, is it, Tony? I'd say, I'd say, you know, the problem is with, 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 and it's not a problem, you know, there's a siege mentality a little bit with, with, with Scousers and, and, and rightly so, you know, we, we come from a, a diverse culture, you know, uh, we, we, we've probably got a little bit of a chip on our shoulder in a nice way because we're not soft, you know, we, we understand the dynamic of human behaviour because we've lived among the soup of human behaviour, you know, we've seen all the good, we've seen all the bads, we've seen all the struggle, we've seen all the chaos, we've seen all the enlightened times, we've seen all the humour, we see all that, we've got an identity and you know, sometimes it rubs up against certain, 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 certain areas, I suppose. And I think football's a little bit of a, a divergent side to that as well. You know, there's there's always been that northwest rivalry between the Manchester's and the Liverpool's, the Everton and Liverpool's. You know, it was never that polarized in the past. But I'd say I'd say there's there's always that, you know, there's always that element that we probably think that. But whether it's true or not, we don't know. You know, it's it's up to them to. You know, actualize that. They, we can't say, oh, you know, we're not liked. Do we care? Not really. We, we, you know, we're quite resilient. We're like, you know, what we've got our identity. We enjoy, we enjoy, enjoy what we are. We don't forget what we are. You know, that's the substance of me. You know, I don't forget where I come from. I don't, don't, don't forget me base. I don't forget me foundation. You know, and I'm proud of you know loads of things that happen. But you know, there's things that happen as well that I'm not proud of. You know what I mean? Within within the culture of of, of being a scouser. Um, but we, talk, we talked earlier on about the, the Irish connection and, and the, the, your, your mother's, mother's maiden name was Campbell and Flanagan and, and there's, yeah. there's an Irish connection there and the, the, you do get that from Liverpool and as you, you listen to the show and Tom Rogerson mentioned um, the uniqueness of, of Liverpool and uh, we ma- I mentioned before we started the show that sort of the conservatism and the divide and the, the sort of the battle that which still we agreed uh, uh, exists today um, yeah, and I think and I think you know there's there's an extent of it being Liverpool, and then the extent of it being the north of England in compared to the rest of the, the UK, especially when you come to to athletics and you talk running. Um, you know that as is you know I'm sure one of these days we'll have my mum on the show and, and she'll uh, describe the story of of her nearly not going to the Olympic Games um, from the fact that. The, she hadn't been picked, and and they didn't think she. They, they asked a local journalist, got in touch, and said, you know, how come she's not going in the marathon? And they said, oh, didn't think she'd want to go, you know. Um, and then obviously the, the the world champs the year before for the the ten thousand meters, she won the trials uh, in the qualifying time, but she was a northern runner, and they wanted to send three southern girls, and so they sent her out to the Bislett Games to hopefully be upset and and get the other three girls to beat her, and luckily she. She beat them all and, and set an English record, so they had to send her at that point, uh, you know, and that, and that's still around to today. We, you know, you see names missed and things like that, um, and and other athletes get into teams and stuff. So I think there's there is that element of you know the clique system, you know, mm. and, and 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 there is a little bit of the north south divide in that respect. From a you know a, historically, you know, that's true. It, you know, it, it is true. You know, but you know, there's other stories of. Southern athletes who've been overlooked as well, yeah. and and sometimes it's just. Well, at least the Northerns can uh, organise a road relay, can't they? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, I know that that's a bit of a viewpoint at the moment. For those for those who are listening, the the, the Southern Six Days were were cancelled four days before they were meant to go ahead because yeah. of a crumbling stadium. Yeah, which what? which Southeast Athletics have actually Crystal Palace, is that right? Crystal Palace, I think they actually based themselves there, so they're actually yeah. working in an environment of crumble, but. 
but you've seen as well that you know there's been a collective try to get them yeah. to Milton Keynes. Milton Keynes are putting on an event with with Saw and stuff like that yeah. that's sponsoring it so, and things, so, so. so they're fulfilling they're fulfilling it but it's not going to be a, a, a banner of it's the southeast of England so, sorry south of England relays yeah. and, and you know what it's a brand but you know what is, are they given what, what they should be given is, is basically you know the athletes in that region you know the chance to run in relays and compete against their peers as a team and, and also you've got your fastest legs and your fastest overall legs yeah. so you know it is a testament to way the way athletics seems to be going there seems to be and you know what I've, I've, I've noticed this since the lockdown there's a a, a big lethargy in, 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 in how people put themselves apply themselves it just seems as though there's like it's very tiring you know what I mean people are not what we're we talking about now the bureaucracy or the, not just the, the, the organisations yeah of, I think uh, I think I think the motivation for people now is just like so there's been that many reflections on people having time to themselves and you know I think you know we've gone through the, one of the biggest struggles in, in respect of you know holding patterns for people to you know some people don't need that self-absorption and just sitting around and having that loneliness and having that reflection sometimes looking at that is detrimental to people and you know I think people are craving to have that you know common connection with people and, and what's happening is is that things are starting to go on the upward trends and you know it just seems as though if there's no money attached to it it's not it's not it's of no value in other words you know you could probably have an activity happening like a concert or something in in, in, in Crystal Palace as long as it's generating money and that's fine and that's how decisions seem to be made I noticed that because all these races are being put on you know uh, private races where they're making quite a few quid you know mm -hmm. but then you get these types of events which seem far more easily sort of mm. cancelled or even the little local and, club and races aren't coming back as much you've not, we've not seen many of the, the small local you know your, your athletic clubs your running clubs and stuff that would host their own races there's not many of them back on the on the calendars, but yeah, there's, there are the, uh, these bigger sort of money-making races. It that, clearly doesn't add up because you can have one event, but the other event is cancelling for reasons of, yeah. I, does, I, does it, it's, it's, a, it's obviously to do with money. The fact that these are, the generation in profit will get it on, we're motivated to generate that profit. Yeah. And then the volunteers, perhaps. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's a, a big lethargy with people. Lethargy, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, we've just gone through a, a global pandemic. And, 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 you know, the restrictions that afforded that, you, you were like, everyone's been effective, affected, you know, you've had like 150,000 deaths, you know, from it, you know, and, and, and you're like, okay, you know, this is a, this is a massive crisis and, and people have took notice and, you know, it's, there's the shift in, you know, people, how people think about it and people don't think about it, but it's a tragedy, you know, it's a, it's a big tragedy and people have become insecure and how you become insecure is that you don't know what's going to happen in the future and there's a lot of people living like that anyway because of the culture wars that you know the poor now are getting like you know even poorer and you know even people who have got jobs are still getting poorer and you've got to rely on food banks etc and you know there's a there's a, a bit of a disconnect in society but what's happening is now with like a save the service industry which we're basically built on aren't we there seems to be a lethargy and people are going you know you know the message is retrain us doing something else while we there you know there's insecurity to retraining. So so what's happening is people are insecure. And if you're insecure in your role, you're not going to do it to the best of your ability. So there seems to be a, a little bit of a laissez-faire attitude towards applying themselves to a task that they don't know whether there's going to be any security in that task. 
and that's I think what's happening a lot you know the insecurity of you know there's no definite you know you know if you're in a secure job you generally you know you've got a secure home you've got a secure family you've got a secure job they're finite things that make you feel good about yourself and you then tend to make the right decisions based on the security but when you're insecure you start being a bit more lethargic you start edging your bets you start making decisions that mightn't be the right decisions you know what i mean because you know you're feeling oppressed you're feeling tired you're feeling you're struggling so i think there's a, a major lethargy with everybody and, and and i think you know when it comes to it there's no finite at the moment so when it starts settling down properly and we we get back to a normal world whatever that is I think it'll it'll improve, but it's people are getting agitated now and impatient, and you know because this is our lives, this is our timeline. We want to make sure that we're you know everyone's saying time's important. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and and I think that's what's happening going into that aspect of of, of of the southeast relays. For me, that's my perspective anyway. You know, very insightful. Going back now to the very beginning, <laughs> inner city Liverpool. We're about to in Liverpool, Tony. Um, we're an hour in and we're just starting it. I know, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so right in inner city Liverpool. So basically, uh, an area called Scotty Road. So, so. Oh, I've, I know, I know. I think I know what you mean. Yeah. So, Scotty yeah. So, Road. so. Yeah. More. Where that speed camera is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're, we're the new the new tunnel we call it the one that was built in 1973. So, I lived on just off Foxall Road. So between Foxall Road and Scotty Road, I lived in the tenements there, and the tenements were called Portland Gardens. I was thinking about this last night. They were it was just a concrete jungle and they called it the gardens because there was gardens at the back of the tenements and all they were was like a play area of tarmac and then and then um, lawns around the sides, slanted lawns. So you had a little bit of nature. It was like I think it was a nineteen it might have been a nineteen thirties or something philosophy that you know oh you know we're gonna all pack them into the tenements you know it was like you see it historically on on shows so we lived in the tenements but there was a good sense of community so it was a uh, it was probably one of the most deprived areas in britain at the time um when i was growing up i was born in 1970 um i lived with me nan my granddad my mum my aunties and my uncle and my cousin so there was like seven of us at one point in the first three or four years living in living in um, living in Portland Gardens you know what I mean so you know Irish families big families you know my nan, I think my nan had nine nine brothers and sisters you know it was like and then and then she had three three kids um, my mum her sister uh, Mary my other sister Margaret who's passed away and my other uncle Joe who's passed away as well recently last four or five years um, so yeah they were like you know, we were brought up in that family unit and it was always a loving brother. But it was predominantly a, a female environment, really, because, you know, Joe left quite early when he had his son who was born a year below before me, Joe. Um, so, yeah, it was like, it was like, it's a, it, it's a private area, but the sense of community was amazing. And, and, and actually, you know, you say it was the private area, but Tate and Lars was there and, and British American Tobacco was there, you know, two of the things that are probably the worst from a health perspective that you're ever going to get, but it's industrial Britain, isn't it? So we've got 11,000 workers and everyone either worked in them two factories. So at that point, there was no insecurity about jobs. You could walk in and out of jobs and you could earn good money, but you had to work, you had to toil hard and, you know, and, and, and the family dynamic was a little bit, you know, was, was challenging because you had overcrowded housing and the housing wasn't, 
you know, to the best. But you made the best of it, you know what I mean? People had pride, you know what I mean? And it was, I, I, you know, for all the struggle, you look back and you reflect and there was loads of struggle that that must have went through. But seeing it through a kid's eyes, it was one of the most adventurous and happiest things you could ever go to because it was chaotic, but you had, you had continuity with mates, you had people going through hardships and you had other people helping them hardships. And you know, you had hardships behind your door, you, you've seen other hardships plays out in the streets, you've seen the chaos around you, but you've seen the love as well and you've seen the sense of community and you've seen the sense of fun and play. And, and, and that's what was great about it. Even though it was the deprived area, you know, you look back and you go, wow, what a childhood, you know, wow, I could write millions yeah. of, you know, stories about my childhood and characters and it was great, I, you know, and, and, and that's my base. That's, you and did, you, did you support a particular football team? Yeah, yeah, I mean, weirdly. Which one did you go for? I'm a blue, I'm an Evertonian. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, this, you know, the influence I had around me was my granddad was a Liverpoolian, my aunties and everyone else were Liverpoolian in the household, but I think my mum was a little bit of a black sheep, so she ended up supporting everyone. And, and obviously I took my mum's side and, you know, I'm glad I took my mum's side because she was like a devout Evertonian. Yeah. So I suppose there was like that, you know, it was different then as well. You know, it was like, you go and see a Liverpool match, you go and see an Everton match. It was like, you know, you next door yeah. neighbour, you know, people in your family were supporting both sides, you yeah. know. But there was always like that togetherness spirit, you know what I mean? It was like, you know, I you know. Find, you find they're a bit more divided now, the two oh, teams. Massively, yeah. Why, why is that? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't think it's a good thing, but it's it's just the way society's gone, has it? You know, it's it's like again, you know, football's changed for me. You know, back yeah. then it was like a working class sport. It was like you know you could associate with the players who were playing at the time, and it was a, you know, you could tell it was like getting to that point where you could have access to the players and 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 they were normal players, you know, and and, and they were humble and they were, you know, you, you'd look up to them type of players because you, they'd just be normal players, all right. They were passion in the street sort of thing. There know, wasn't there wasn't know. a disconnect. There was a connect. Yeah. You know, some of them I actually come from the area. You know, we were playing professional football, and you'd see some of them. You know, you'd see them regularly. You go to the match, and you you, you know you'd see them. I, I remember I remember going to watch Everton in nineteen, I think it was nineteen seventy eight, and I went to watch them in QPR, um, away, and I think I think we might have won four one, and I remember someone got injured, the captain got injured. And then we were we were getting the train home, and we'd done a first time. Queen's Park Rangers is, is, is that London or? Yeah, London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was the first time I'd gone to London with my family. So <laughs> with me with my stepdad and my mum, we went down to London. I don't think they made married then. So it was like introduced to away matches, and we we'd done an away match trips first time. First yeah. time was ever was was always the first away trip I ever went was obviously Anfield, which was really at home because it used to be Everton's ground back in the eighteen uh, odds, <laughs> but. Went to Man United with that, and then that was like, and then we went to QPR, and then on the way back I was on the train, and then I was sitting in the train, and, and, and we had a great day. We went to Buckingham Palace and all that, done all the touristy stuff, and then went to watch the match, enjoyed the match, and then we got the train back, got the like the seven o'clock train or something like that, and we're on the train, and we're sitting there, and we're just having our bags of crisp and a couple of drinks on the train, and they were having a couple of berries, me mum and me, me, me future stepdad, and it was like looking down, I was like, that looks like Billy Wright, Evans captain. And it was. <laughs> so, but they were in first class having a meal. So my mum went down and went, can you go and see all the players? So I goes down and, and they go, yeah, come in. So I goes in. And, and at that point, I was, my name was Tony Campbell because I was born Tony Campbell. My name's not Tony O'Brien, only by 
when my mum got married to my stepdad to become Tony O'Brien. So, you know, I was I was another one like Tony Clark, TC, Tony Campbell as well. So there was that element of, you know, you had that, you know, things go, yeah, come in. So I, I went in, I had my tea with them. I met every player. I remember sitting next to George Wood, the goalie. And I remember that, the um, was it, who's the, who's the trainer for Man United under Ferguson? I think it was name was... Uh, he was the physio. He was the physio. I think his name was Evans. Something Evans. McDonough or something. I think his name was McDonough. I think his name was. But because my name was Campbell, and he was like, like the clans. You know what I mean? So he was yeah. talking about Scotland then. But I was like, my my heritage was from Ireland. They come up from Ireland. My Campbells. Yeah. But he was like, I shouldn't be talking to you, Campbells. You know what? We're, we're a different clan, and you know your people killed my people, <laughs> Culloden and all that. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you know I'm only seventy. And I'm like, okay, I've heard that. Like, but it imprinted on your mind. It was like, wait there, I've just spent my time on the way back from a great experience at seven with all these great players, yeah. and they were like, they were like, they were great. They were like, they were just, they were just normal men who yeah. were just like, who, who probably had kids themselves and were just like, let's make this kids day. You know what I mean? And yeah, I wasn't yeah. anything special. You know, there was other kids there as well who, who were joining in as well. You know, yeah. but you know. And you never forgot that. No, it was like, trip. yeah, it was like, wow. You know what? I've just been amongst all me, all me heroes yeah, at that yeah. age. You know what I mean? And I was only getting. At that development stage of getting into Everton, but you know that was like this. My team is, is always going to be my team now. You know what I mean? I've had that experience and having that, you know, experience and positive experience was like this is great. You know what I mean? So that, I think that cemented me. You know, because there's a lot of people who, who like you know, the oldest lads. He, he he was he was historically an Evertonian, and then he he flipped to being a, a Liverpoolian. You know what I mean? So he he, he actually got influenced by his mates. Mm. And, in school and stuff like that and I didn't mind that you know it's it, you know I, I'll let him do whatever he wants but he's a Liverpoolian and you know and the other lad was a, an Evertonian the youngest lad was an Evertonian so there was always that aspect of you know there's always one in the family who's going to be different and, and I suppose my mum was and then it passed on to me and you know we you know and, and I think that was one of the, the areas of when you were younger in that environment the community wasn't so polarised because Everyone was everyone's mates, and if Liverpool won, fine. If Liverpool, if Everton won, fine. Yeah. If we played each other, there'd be a bit of banter, but there was never, never any any fisty cups. It was just like, you know. I like that. I like that. Now Matthew's kicking me under the table. He wants to talk about running. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> what I want to do is is skip ahead really because we did talk about you. You, you started at eleven, although you interject and bring it back to wherever. I want to talk about. Your ambitions now as a, as a coach, I think you, you're on that pathway. I mean, you, yeah. you sound like a co coach to me anyway. I, I, I've talked, spoken to you about the physicality in my job as a, as a, as a bin man, you know, and, and the physicality that you had in your job and, and training at such level that you did and the, and the standard that you were running at and how you balance that with your training and how some days you've got to say, well, today I can't do that session. I have to do it tomorrow maybe yeah. when it's a lighter day. So I want to talk about your coaching, your ambitions, your coaching. We'll, we'll go through all your, your glory years as well. You know, you, you pick out some of those successes, yeah. but we've got so much to talk about. <laughs> and, and we're an hour and 15 minutes in, so we better crack on. Yeah. So Matthew, Matthew's got a look at him there. He's all... Uh, oh. <laughs> he's all... Yeah, go on, Matthew. I'm not saying anything for a while, have I? Um, <laughs> but, uh, well, you know, obviously you've represented, um, you know, England on numerous occasions, on the cross-country and on the road and things like that. I think, you know, just... Give us a bit of, of, of insight into some of those those performances and those those opportunities to put on that, that England vest and, and represent the country. So, I, I think 
I'll give you a bit of context. So in that environment that I've just described about me being a Cincy Liverpool, basically the driver was always, you know, I was I was probably hyperactive as a kid. I was probably, you know, like a like a big box, keep moving all the time. And, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I was looking after me while my mum was in the factory. So what what used to happen is that she used to then give me tasks. I'll time you. I'll time you. That's all she used to say. I'll time you. And then in the end, it was like go over the shops and I'll time you. So I'd be going on the errands, doing all the all the all the shopping all over yeah. the road. But it was always timing. So that imprinted on me. Wait there. I'm always running against time. So your nan was your first coach. She's my first coach, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so, but that was like, I suppose, a forced behaviour of chasing time. Yeah. So my motivation was never competing with other people. It was always chasing time. My personal journey was to run faster. Yeah. So, so, so that was my motivation. It was never, you know, in the realms of, you know, competing with anyone. That was a byproduct of it. But it was always chasing time I was obsessed with time I was obsessed with running faster because I was put in that environment so what happens then is that you then get into the situation where you're like that's your motivator so every day is, is something different you know and you, you you go back to the 80s and I remember listening to the to the Olympics and I remember you know the Cohen Olvet era and I remember the long distance era and then you know I was about 10 then and you know I was organising street games already then at 10 because yeah. I was so passionate and we were doing the decathlon we were doing three laps of the block 100 meter sprints 200 meter sprints throwing the throwing the the, um, the the brush pole we were doing loads of movement stuff so I was always doing stuff around other kids as in playing yeah but it was always like you know that was the competing side but I used to always have like a Cassie August watching it was like oh, I'm going to sign myself I'm going to beat Antibo running the 10k and putting that frame of mind and yeah, shifting yeah. and stuff like that. So I'd always say the motivation's trigger was always chasing time because that was where I originally come from. So, you know, that was the first driver. I'll time it, I'll time it. I always broke it by a second, funny enough, didn't I? But, you know, I never did. But, you know, I didn't know that, did I? So I'd say that was the, the catalyst for yeah. everything else then. So I always loved every sport, every form. First love was always football played football all the way through um, from a young age right through loved it juggled the ball learned, to, learned with a balloon learned with you know doing the slow movements and getting the technical aspects of keeping up the football and having control of the football and then playing football and having all them interactions played every sport under the sun and, and, and where we were brought up was a great ground for that because there was a million people playing football there was a million people playing tennis there was people playing, playing squash so you had that chaotic sense of honing your skills all the time so that was the background yeah. basically. So then obviously uh, it got to a point where we had a really rich vein of talented athletes living on two blocks. So two tenement blocks. When I moved over to Burlington Street, which was the next block, we had we had um, there was five or six athletes. So so there was my mate's brother John Evans, who's I think he's he lives in Boston now. He's he's like global market manager or for, for Boston, New York, right. New Balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's 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 my best mate, Stephen's older brother. So he's he was on that block in 1981-80. So he was then winning English schools around yeah. that time, fifteen hundred meters. You had a lad named um, two Ricketts brothers who were who were twins. They were both Liverpool Area runners. They were both low 25 min, 25 minute five mile runners and two thirty. Um, look, four sub four minute fifteen hundred runners. Then you had Brian Curry who was like. You know, 
he should have got an international vest basically he was that good you know what I mean so he was like a in the end ran like a 29 30 47 odd 10 mile in the end you know what I mean and, and, and he got overlooked a little bit you know he should have at one point in 97 or 96 he should have been picked for, for England what was the reason for overlooking Brian? I don't know it was, it was uh, politics again or I'd like not to think so but he did deserve it definitely because he you know he ran for the north loads of times and I think he was just like he was he was seven years older than me Brian and I trained with Brian as well so you know I had that like influence so I'd like to not think so but it wouldn't surprise me it wouldn't surprise me because he was he was just a normal lad from where we lived you know what I mean he was like down to earth and you know he he, he, he very much you know he was honest, you know what I mean? But he, he was funny with it as well, you know what I mean? But and then so all them influences were there. But I was just li- living in my journey. And then my best mate Steve went to St. Edward's and I went to Cardinal Godfrey. We we passed our eleven plus the last time. St. Edward's in West Derby. Yeah. So he went there because John had gone, who, who won the English schools. So he was trying to live up to John's expectations and he said he overtrained because he was he was faster than me. He was he was he was he was a he was a, he was a faster athlete than me. It was just a slow burner for me. So, unfortunately, within the first 18 months, and me and him were running for, for Pembroke in 1981, 82. So, me and him, and we, we still go on runs now. We've we done, a, we done a, the run through Ingrid 10K together on his 50th birthday the other week. Yeah. So, we've always been close, best friends, etc. So, but I didn't have that in my school. He had, he had an athletics background in his school, and I had to go to my teacher and say, I want to do athletics because we had no athletics yeah. section. So I went to one of the Christian brothers and he used to take us training around Nugent Park and we, we'd go out at the dinner time and stuff like that. So Steve was always, you know, like uh, a mate, but a rival as well. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, it's like we were very close, but you know, he had, he had the older brother who was like the icon who, who'd won the English schools and he was living up to, try, he told me this, he tried to live up to his expectations and he was as good. You know yeah. what I mean? He was like, you know, but it, it finished them too early, you know what I mean? And, you know, he, he'd over-stressed he'd, he'd over himself at a young age where I basically was like, I was doing everything. I was playing every sport in school. I went to the same school as Tony Clark. I went to Cardinal Godfrey and then it got amalgamated with St. Nicholas was that, that Tony went to. And I think he'd just come into first year when I was in maybe third or fourth year. So we were in Nugent School right under the Paddy's Wigwam. So oh, that, is that where it is? Yeah, yeah, just under Paddy's Wigwam, yeah. So from a coaching aspect... I was always organising as a kid the games. So the the art of play, I was always organising because, you know, I loved it. It was like my escapism, I suppose, in that world. And, you know, you played Lalio and they used to call it German Bastards where you'd like, you know, you'd have them games with groups and, you know, it'd be like, if they catch hold of you, the hard <laughs> lad's going to have you off, you know what I mean? And you'd hide something and then it was always running. It was always movement. It was always different things. And then when I went to school, I played every game and I think that's, a massive thing from a coaching perspective yeah. that you don't specialise you just get your functional movement going until you want to specialise and try every sort of movement pattern you can and develop that and get strong in all the areas and get balanced in all the areas Is there a certain age to be specialising or you can't put an age on it but no, to I, be very good now I suppose you've got to go you've got to make that decision early enough haven't you? I think, I think so you can be on a pathway but you know I think it depends what specialisms are. You, for, for a sustainable point of view is that you've got loads of talent out there in, in, in people and, and kids, but it's the retention of that talent. So if you don't let them play, the problem is, is that you get to a certain age and society says, you're starting playing now and you're working. You've got a purpose. You've got to do this. You've got to be productive. You know. So the art of play 
is always got to be a little bit of first principles for me. So, so if you, from a coaching aspect, if you're in the mindset of we're playing, we're enjoying it, we're sustainable. So, so from a kid's point of view, you know, you've got to change things around a little bit and you've got to say, okay, movement patterns, you know, every movement is, is, is going to be productive for your future. So, you know, have a broad base of, you know, the room jump throw sort of scenario yeah, yeah. and, you know, football movements, function, rugby, whatever, tennis. It's all about developing the system to function and function in the movement. Then you might just go, what motivates me? What do I, what, what do I want to specialise in? And that'll come in your mind. It might just be, you know, am I setting the expectations too high? You know, have I got enough mentors around me that, that can get me into that position? And, and, and the difficulty is, is that there's loads of talent out there and there's loads of people in that environment back in the day it was like you know you had no choice you'd be playing 40 a side in, in our school teams mm-hmm. and, and you know you, you learn how to chop a ball quick you learn how to nutmeg someone you learn how to turn quick you learn how to pass quick everything's quick 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 you're learning them functional movement very quick so you're then cognitively getting the neurons firing into them systems so the more you can do that and the more diverse your basis of functional movement from yeah. a sport perspective the more then you can specialise into things that motivate you at certain times but you've got to see what's out there as well and, and say actually have I got the facilities and this is the access to sport issue that we've got isn't it you know what I mean we're all problem is is that you know we've got propaganda we've got media getting pumped into our minds all threats 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 you know there was threats back in the day but you know you know, out of sight, out of mind a little bit. And, it, and, you know, it's great that we're highlighting all these issues, but the problem is, is that society and people are now have got that anxiety and, you know, the worst case scenario. So I'd say that's the environment I was brought yeah, to. Yeah. I played every sport, loved every sport, was probably competent in every sport, you know what I mean? I was like, you know, there used to be a thing on the thing called Sports Billy, you know, and I was like, oh, I love Sports Billy, he plays every sport, and I played every sport, but there was always that, it was always running. It was always that feeling of feeling tired, feeling, it's probably the threshold feeling. No, when you run a threshold and it's comfortably hard, mm. you know, I was dipping into that all the time, all the way through my childhood. So when you're looking at Kenyans now, mm-hmm. out of necessity, you've got to do that. I did that every day in play. So I built up a massive bank balance of endurance and functional movement all the way through because I was in an environment that there was so many diverse things that you could do in that you know, in my upbringing and in the people around me and the kids around me. And, you know, that's why I always rejoice in, in, in my upbringing. It was like, it was difficult. It was struggle. But you know what? The play was amazing. It was just like, it was like this, the, you know, that's not an insecurity. That's like, that's a strength. You look back and you go, mm, yeah, you know what? That's what's made me. That's the foundation for everything else. So from a coaching aspect, you take all them experiences and you go, what did I find was a play thing? And I think, okay, let's start thinking about play all the time. Let's start getting that creative streak going and let's change things and let's make it sustainable. So people will be more engaged when you start diversifying and being a bit more visionary in yeah. people's thoughts. So as a coach, all I'm doing is, is, is taking all my knowledge that I've been lucky enough to have been around proper, you know, proper, you know, knowledgeable and experienced people who've, who've been very generous in, 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 in passing on that information to me. And I've learned myself, there's nothing better than yeah, having yeah. that feedback yourself and doing it and, and, and carrying it through. So I think from a coaching aspect, I think I've always had that. I think I've always had that ability. I've always been doing it. 
and I think it just comes a, a bit natural but it's not for me I just love passing on the information it, it's just like you know what you know after I've just run a, a threshold session or a top race if I can give you how I feel now you won't go near any you know illegal drugs you won't go near anything it's the state of euphoria it's amazing feeling and I'm addicted to that amazing feeling and sometimes it's been destructive because I've overdone it overtrained got injured or got ill but it's just finding that balance isn't it you know how I mean? do you find that balance Tony? it's it's a thing it's a thing that I've read about called flow and, and that's an arousal state and so flow is 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 the combination of an arousal state an arousal state is something that you want to do and something that you are motivated to get the heart beating to stress your system and, and and if you get too much of that it goes into anxiety state so you don't want to get into too much of an anxiety state and, and we do that in a in a in a in a way that um, we want it too much we've done it all the time we do it in training we do it every day in our lives mm -hmm. So what flow is, is that basically it's between arousal state and control state. So control is what you should be doing to control the narrative of, of an output of a performance. So say for instance, you're, you're being told, um, do this, do this task. They're the control measures, keep within them control measures, right? Um, so... I'll, I'll give you a, a bit of an example. So somebody says to you, um, go and do a, a marathon specific session. <laughs> do a mile on and a mile off. So the mile's at marathon pace session. The recovery is at cruise interval set pace. And I want you to stick to it like glue, right? So the arousal state is, oh, I'm excited for this because this is a key session. I love this, this is great. Yeah. And what happens is is that you go into it and you run the first mile and you hit the hit the control state. The control is you run that pace. The arousal state is when you go, ooh, I felt great there. I'm gonna go a little bit quicker. And then what happens then is you go a bit quicker and you get good feedback. And you see that you like the numbers that you're looking at. Yeah. But you're then still in flow, you're still happy, your arousal state's fine. You get into control state, you're controlling it, and it's a feeling thing as well, you know. And, and then you say the next mile, okay, I've, I've, same again, I'm feeling easy, I'm feeling great. And sometimes you've got to go with that feeling, you know what I mean? So, what would be destructive is then you then go, okay, oh my god, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling amazing, I'm going to run a 445 mile, I'm going to run another 445 mile because my arousal state's amazingly high. But wait there, what's the big picture here? Controls the big picture, flows the big picture. Arousal state is a state of mind that takes you close to anxiety state. So flow is basically getting the balance between the task that you should be doing in a controlled environment and counteracting that arousal state. And that doesn't mean that you're not challenging the narrative of the arousal state because you always need that arousal state. That's, that's the precursor and that's the confidence booster. But the closer you get out of the arousal state, you go into anxiety state, you're overcooking it. So if you can try and keep your mindset, and this is a big thing with coaching, if you can keep the growth mentality in the flow state, and you know what, it's not sustainable because you know what, we get excited, we get anxious, we wanna have that physio, visual and audible feedback all the time about what we're doing. But you know, if we're in too much control, the next state is, is a morose state, it's too boring. 
Oh, metal knowledge. I'm not happy with that. That's not my character. It's not sustainable, is it? So we're always going from control, flow, arousal state. That's our mindset. But sometimes when the pressure gets too high, we're in anxiety state. Sometimes when the training's monotonous, we're in morose state, just out of the control state. So it's trying to balance between them three states of arousal, yeah. flow, and, and control. So if we can keep within them parameters and not go into the anxiety state or the morose state, we can be sustainable. So that's all is, is this with all could you use this principle in it with all aspects of your life yeah everything so for example today i'm quite tired i've, I've, I've you know quite drained my sleep hasn't been the best of, of late and I've, I've agreed to go and do an open mic session this evening i don't really want to do it but, <laughs> so i'm going to go now into something i don't want to do into sort of potentially an anxiety state or yeah and that's where you've got to make that decision to, to, to bring it back to, to flow, I think. You're just looking for an excuse from the sound of it to get out of it. <laughs> Not really. I'd probably go like it's a couple of, and enjoy a couple of songs, but you need rest, don't you, and recovery. And So you talk about, what, what is that flow again? What does the flow mean, Shelley? So flow is, 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 is a state of getting the balance between an impetus of arousal. In other words, you want to do something, you're excited to do something, you're always like always thinking about that thing mm. and it's a task it can be any task or anything that you do anything that you apply yourself to mm. and control control is the mastery so in other words that is the mastery if you fill in that control mechanism there it's got uh, it's got rules so then rules of the control is basically statistically under research conditions if you do that under control you will get a good outcome or yeah. a good response to that Flow is basically making sure that you're controlled, but you've also got the arousal state because that's the interest state. The arousal state is being happy about your environment, but also not being bored, boring, and methodical. Some, some yeah, with, people within, like within the within life itself, I find that this word, this control state that you talk about, is for me would maybe be reading a book. Okay. The, on based on feeling, would, would would that make sense now? Any any something that fo like focuses the mind, but also stabilizes things it's control state and then obviously aspect where you're playing the guitar or you're running you know and the euphoria of that that would be arousal state so arousal state yeah. and the flow is the balance in between it's very interesting it makes sense so so it's it's stressing your system enough that'll be sustainable and then you can rest properly so yeah I, I think at the moment i'm probably stressing my system too much yeah. In which case I'm not resting very well. And that's that 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 that'll, that'll stop the growth potential. So I think it's living with Matthew to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <It'll> be, <yeah. laughs> I put that fourteen fifty down to me. So. <laughs> so so the coaching aspect and obviously you know the development side. You know where did you get that principle that idea from? By the way, who who who? who? I, I think because I come from like a behavioural safety perspective. Because obviously I was I'm doing I was like my last job was construction management. And I was doing construction, you know, chartership, which I was doing in the last six or 12 months. There was like behavioral safety initiatives in work. And they were talking about, you know, when you're doing a task and when you're, you're doing something. Because, you know, it, it's important in the behavioral safety aspect as well. Because, you know, they were talking about taking shortcuts. You know, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to climb up there and I'm going to pull this table across to the left. No, no, because, you know, statistically, that table will fall over and you can break your neck. Statistically there's a good correlation between you working unsafely because of your arousal state. In other words, 
men and women and human beings want to cut corners and that's the arousal state it's the first thing ah it's convenient yeah. but control is what you should do flow is making the right decisions at the right time by the way arousal protects you as well you know sometimes there's a car coming across the road and you want to divert quick you've got to make a quick decision yeah. you've got to get away it's the escape escape clause that's arousal that'll, that'll give you that that, that little bit of a, a, a boost will save you it's like the you know the chimp thing to protect yeah. yourself what we were talking about earlier so but the control status is, is you know statistically if you follow the control manual you'll be safe so when they talk about flow it's making sure that you get in the middle ground that you're in that flow state when you're doing a task so the tasks that we were doing in construction are very you know dangerous so you've got to make sure that you get the buy-in off the people and it comes from them then they understand it they they, they understand it because it's you know being a coach is just a facilitator an enabler of somebody working their path out and that's what i look at coaching as you know i've got knowledge i've got this you know philosophy which can change you know we've got to change as we grow older and different circumstances happen around us so that's what my coaching philosophy will be is, is being an enabler and hopefully get that flow state that can get again you know uh, you know that growth equation which is stressing the system in a nice way resting creates growth in other words we get better but we do it over a slow methodical time and and, and you know it's difficult to get that because there's too many distractions so that's that i think they're the principles of me now being more philosophical and having that journey and being 50 year old and having all them experiences and them experiences are obviously you know some of them were natural because I was always a coach doing coaching things and yeah. spreading information that I'd learned and I was passing on because I didn't have that insecurity that, you know, oh, if I know this information and they don't, I, I, you know, I'm more secure than them. I was never like that. I was always like, I need someone to play with if I'm going to be that. If I'm going to be like that, no one's going to play with me, Adi, you know, I'm just going to have a, you know, I want to be, I want to be playing. I'm a kid, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying me, yeah, yeah. me, me development. So, I'd say, yeah, I'd say that's the coaching philosophy I've got in my mind. It's more about the, the group mentality. If you can get that group mentality going and enhance the individual, I've done my job, I've been an enabler. And, that, and that's, that's me for what coaching is for me. And, and, you know, hopefully, hopefully I can keep in the flow state as a coach, you know, and not get, make too many mistakes in that respect, you know what I mean? And not lose the focus sometimes because, like you say, you know, we're all narcissistic in ways and sometimes the ego gets in the way and sometimes you're a bit more jaded and you don't want to apply yourself. It's just making sure that you keep that sustainability going, you know what I mean, and and, 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 and look long-term because things don't happen overnight, do they? You know, <laughs> these overnight sensations and these prodigies, they've been, year, they've been years in the learning and had good influences around them. And, you know, what you see is not what you get. Most of yeah. the time, it's, it's you, you know, there's a story behind it. There's yeah. a development. There's a smart working ethic behind it. So I suppose I got lucky in a way that was like, I got to them sort of levels because I had great people around me yeah. and, and, and I was brought up in an area that gave me access to that. Yeah. Even though it's a private area, I had good influences around me, great athletes who introduced me to that system and I had good knowledge because it was passed on from knowledgeable people. So that was my introduction into the world of uh, of athletics, basically. And But I never specialised till I was 15 when I joined Liverpool Arias. And that was another one, you know, it was like, I've done all these team sports, I've got a bit thinner, 
I'm just not playing football anymore because I'm getting knocked off the ball all the time. And I was like, the motivation for me is, you know what? I'm a decent runner. Let's go and explore that. And 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 and, and I always wanted and liked the feeling of being out of breath and and, and, and having that addiction of feeling out of breath. And, and and it's a great addiction, but it can go into a toxic addiction as well yeah. with overtraining and all that stuff. And I've done that in spades in the past. So I suppose you know, it wasn't a linear thing getting yeah, to yeah. getting to these pinnacles of, 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 of my earlier senior career. There was like a development as, as a young athlete and it was trial and error again. But, you know, I, I'm really proud of what, of what I put, the figures I put down, you know what I mean? But the journey was... By the way, you know, we've got the figures, we've got the real figures, but you type it into Power 10, we don't get those figures because... No, no. Because, because people need to be aware that... The, well, and then Power 10, the some of them are, some of them are on there, but, you know... Why doesn't it link up? I don't know. I don't. I think that. I think because you've got to justify and try and find the information right, okay. to provide for them. And, and right. you know, I might have a you might have a printout sheet. It used to be like yeah, yeah, yeah. printout sheets, and, and you see them all on Facebook now. You've got like oh this this result from nineteen eighty three, yeah. and you, you're like oh bloody hell, my name's on that. What's going on? You know, I've seen someone. I've seen one from nineteen ninety three, uh, from the counties and I was twenty seventh, and 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 actually, you know. I was 20, 20, 20, going on 21. And by a, a turn of fate, I ended up on the front of the of the Athletics Weekly. Yeah. yeah. They got me on the front of the Athletics right, Weekly. Yeah. And I finished 27th. I didn't even, you know, the winner, Paul Dugdale, who's won the senior, he didn't even get on the front page. I'm like, I remember, because I used to get it religiously. Yeah. And I remember looking at it and I was like, that's me. Yeah. In my Lang's vest. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, have, have I justified that? And I never. It was just. It was just a good, a good, a good um, top of the hill in Leicester. Someone had took a picture, and it was like a little bit blurry. But it was like I was like, my God, I'm on the front of the, uh, this. Running, running for Lancashire. Running for Lancashire in the intercounties, and, and and I ran solidly enough. But it was a, it was either a youth or a first year junior. But it was like, wow, you know, at this young age, being on the front yeah, of the yeah, Athletics yeah. Weekly, and it was like out of nowhere, you know, no one gets on the front of the Athletics Weekly by chance. Yeah. I did you know what I mean and it was like wait there this is a bit fateful this you know what I mean it, there's a little bit of you know this is my sport you know what I mean it's it's like I'd never envisaged that I'd get on the front of a magazine you know I was like that was the only ever time and, and yeah, it was like yeah. for a performance that wasn't like a great one to be celebrated it was solid but it wasn't like so there was these little facets that you go through life and little threads that you go yeah Wow, that that well, that, that well, that gave me motivation, didn't he? I think I packed in for like when I had my kids at nineteen and twenty. I think I packed in for like a year and a half because I was so busy with the yeah. bringing up the young kids, and then it was just like I, I was lost a little bit to the sport for like eighteen months, played football again, and you know, so yeah. so all that like journey was like, you know, something always dragged me back. Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to say, so yeah, you you've had obviously a couple like breaks from the sport through your career and stuff like that. And obviously, you you've had a you know, several sort of tragedies as well yeah. in your life sort of thing. And is, is those tragedies sort of involved in that sort of bringing you back to running when you've been on those breaks or, you know, did they coincide with that sort of your return? Yeah, I mean, like I say, the, up until up until I had, you know, me two older lads, which 19, when I was 19 and 20, yeah. very young, you know, it was like a lot of responsibility. I had a job then, I had an apprenticeship with, with you know, Northwest Water at the time. And I was secure, you know, and, you know, and I had them as, you know, a, a, as a distraction. I worked in a sewage treatment works, believe yeah. it or not, you know, and it's like, 
you know, great environment for uh, like a, a budding runner to, to, and I lived on the docks, which the air quality was terrible. So we're talking about environments again, you know, I never lived in a great environment. So, yeah. you know, when they talk about the shoe technology, which went on about a little bit earlier, you know, you know, I had all them disadvantages of not clean air, working in a, in a, in a, in a sewage environment and, and, and bringing up a family, having that busy element. So, you know, there was that going on. And then I was, you know, and then when I got to 21, um, unfortunately, me, me 12 year old sister um, on a birthday ended up um, getting killed in a road accident right by my mum's house. And that was like, you know, that was like, I had me two kids, so I had something to focus on positively. But it was one of them moments where it was like, wow, that is the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone. You know what I mean? And, and I, I think I made a covenant with myself, you know, it was like, to, to protect myself, I'm still running, and, and you know, I, I actually ran two days later, in actually the day after, in the British, in the UK champs. I'd never qualified for the UK champs before, in the, and, a, and I qualified in the steeplechase. And my sister got run over on the, I think it was the, the Thursday, and she never died in, 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 until the Friday, and um, and and it just it was just we're just in chaos. We're in you know everybody's in the twilight zone basically yeah. you know. When, when you have such a shock like that, you basically, you, you know, you've got a mental illness straight away. As soon as you're in bereavement phase like that, you're gone out. You? You're just like, wow, this is... For me, to have responsibility in my own family was something that saved me, probably. But I went and ran the UK champs the next day because my mum said... Because I used to train with Francine, my me, me sister, around Liverpool's the tunnel. Yeah. And I used to set her off. And, and, and I remember, I told my auntie this story the other day. I used to set her off on her... On a, on a, um, I used to do laps of it, so I used to say to her, let's do a handicap, I'll set you off. And then when you get online with me, I'll chase you down and, 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 and see how you... So I was getting her involved in it, but that was when she was like eight or nine, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I always remember, when I think of Francine, I always think of the, you know, I knew what was going on with the development and, you know, we were close. I was the oldest in the family. She was born 10 years after me in 1980. And then, you know... When, you know, I had a brother who was seven years older, just when I started work, about 33 years older, Philip. And, and I had me, me younger brother, Liam, as well. So I had all them around me, and, you know, it had, a, it had a terrible effect on them. But I had that thread of having the responsibility of me two lads. Yeah. So I always rejoice in the fact that, you know, I had them moments of, you know, running experiences with my sister. You know what I mean? So it actually pushed me on to you know, have that little bit of resilience and determination to, to for myself to, yeah. to, to try and do something for myself with significance, you know what I mean? So I, I can only justify significance, you know what I mean? And I think significance was, you know, pursuing a goal that I knew was going to be difficult. But, you know, for me, I always felt though it was like, you know, she was like the little fairy on my shoulder. In other words, there was, you know, there's a part of it that I was bringing along with me on my journey and I wanted it to be a, a fulsome journey and it's never ever a fulsome journey. Everything's, you know, there's chaos around, yeah, there's, yeah. there's relationships that break up and, 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 and chaos and, and me making bad decisions and me being, you know, a bad parent at times and, you know, and being brutally honest with myself at times and, and you know, but trying your best in the circumstances, that's what you can only do, you know what I mean? And try and learn from that. So from a rejoicing point of view, you know, I suppose when I, I think about my performance, you know, I brought her along with me. She's yeah. always a part of me because when, when, when people die, it's, it's, and I thought about this, I said, you know what, we've lost one person, but she's lost a million people, you know, 
a million future people and, and when you look at it that and you know obviously you know you've got that sort of comparison haven't you with, 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 with like your dad and yeah, stuff like yeah, that yeah, yeah. so so I think it gives you that little bit of a resilient edge and you go okay you know I've had a loss a serious loss at that point where do we go from here sliding doors moment I either regress or I progress and I think mentally I progressed I just thought you know what it's not going to be futile. I'm going to try and bring her legacy with me because, you know, and, and, and every time I get a chance to, and I never really talked about it for years on ends and stuff like that. And it was like, not escapism. And it's not that I forgot about her. You know, she's always close to me. You yeah. know, she's part of me upbringing and that. But I think that resilience and that grit was always, you know, it was like transferred from that bad place. Yeah. And, 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 and it basically broke the family apart massively and, and it's always going to you know with such a trauma like that was always going to cause massive ripples you know what I mean but you know me personally I had that you know I took it with me and I took it with me progressively so when I look back you know I don't want to forget her and I don't want to you know and I, I want to give praise to her yeah. that you know her life in the 12 years was a good life you know what I mean and she had good times and you know and, and you know rejoicing in her life yeah. you know as a reflection of you know she's she's a part of me she's a part of my my me going along stage you know what i mean and i think that's where the resilience comes from that's where the hard work and the determination and the you know the single-mindedness comes in you know what i mean because you've gone through them hardships and you know nothing's not as hard as that now you know yeah. running, running through a brick wall's not hard anymore yeah I, 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 yeah i completely like get that sort of thing i don't think whether like it's even I, suppose, I don't know whether you do the same thing when you're on the start line and racing other people or you're, you're in the mid-race and you're, you're, you're starting to suffer a bit. And obviously, you know, you don't know what the other athletes have gone through and, you know, experienced similar things and all the rest of it. But in your head, you, you can draw on that that pain and, 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 and stuff that you've suffered and suffered there. But I know that, you know, this pain that you're getting from the running is, is nowhere near that, that sort <laughs> yeah. of level and that sort of, you know, can help you sort of really dig to that other level and you think and you think and, and also give you something that's sort of I suppose you know well they can't dig they, they can't get to that that level because they haven't and they, they might have done and everything that yeah. but you know you don't know but you don't need to know because you're focused on you and your performance in, in that moment and you you know well I can dig harder because I've it's suffered personal. more sort of thing you know it's personal journey, um, isn't it? yeah, yeah. And, and that's the inward side of you yeah and, and that's good because that gives you that gives you that strength and, and, and that strength's really important. That emboldens everything. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, you know, we're still empathetic of not knowing the, the other people's perspective. And everyone's got their own story yeah, yeah, yeah. and their own hardships and struggles. But, you know, as long as, you know, for me to go in the regressive state wouldn't have been a testament to what my relationship with, was with her. You know what I mean? So I didn't want to have an indelible mark to go, you know what? as soon as you died my life got exponentially worse it never it actually grew and grew and grew and still grows because I had that mindset yeah, yeah. so you know that was like yeah. a little bit of a a saviour moment by a bad experience you yeah. know what I mean so I think yeah and I think like that I mean that's you know when I obviously me, my, my dad passed away when I was 21 so um, I think I, I sort of went into that regressive sort of bit for like a couple of years like I just didn't really do anything just sort of muddled through life and then at 25 was like you know my dad wouldn't want me to 
have packed in running and stuff like that. Yeah. He loved running, that was his thing. And yeah. you know, I was like, look, I'm, I'm 25 now. My mum went to the Olympics at 32. There's, there's time for me to see if I can achieve what she achieved and, and you know, but I've got to go and work hard and, and do that sort of yeah. thing. And, and I suppose, yeah, that's where then, I you know, I took my dad with me then when I went into, you know, going to racing and stuff yeah. like that. And, you know, we had that voice of, of him sort of coaching me and advising me yeah. sort of thing on what you do and things like that. So, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's again, the product of your past emboldens you to try and grow in the future. And, 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 and if you can rejoice in that and try yeah. and, try and grow from it and it's the most difficult thing in the world you know you know I, my best mate Joey lost his lads about nine years ago Joe and, and and you know me and Joe were like partners in crime training all the way through and that again then then cemented for me a, a, a sea change that time's more important and journeys are more important than you know looking through all the muddle of you know me and Joey trained together for from the mid 90s right through to when I packed in in 2002 and I was always advising him he's coming back now which yeah. is brilliant he's got his mojo back but he went through and it was more profound when his son died than when Francine died because my sons were the same age as Joe his lad and yeah. his lad was a great lad he'd started in uh, British Gas and he was on a, on a great path and he's a great lad a yeah. really really good lad and it broke it broke obviously it broke their hearts but you know it, it had that much ripple effect that you know I probably grieved more for his son because I knew what sort of people him and his wife and his family were yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and he was like the closest ally to me and running all the way through Joey Parkinson he's like you know me and him have got this connection and, and shared so many experiences that when that happened to him I was probably it probably flipped me into the grieving stage more than it did with my sister but you know he doesn't want his son not remembered. Yeah. And, and, you know, me talking about his son is, you know, a validation that, you know what, he was a great kid. He was a, he was a, he was a top lad and, and he was brought up by top parents. And, and, I, and I had the privilege and honour of spending loads of time with them. But you know what? You know, it was a tragedy. And, 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 and it's an unassailable tragedy to say it'll ever be repaired. It can never be yeah. repaired. But you know what? All we can do is remember them in a good light yeah. and, and, and you know what he deserved to be remembered in a good life like my sister was only yeah. 12 she was not becoming of age or not, and she was only a kid she was she was thinking but Joe lived a, a very good life and, 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 and a great 21 years and, and you know what you know what everyone around when, when he died was like yeah he was great he was, he was a great and he was he was a great man he was a great man at 21 and lived a, a, a real flourishing life at 21 and it was a real shame that yeah. it come about at that time for, for Joey and, and, and Di and, and Holly and all the family. But, you know, you know, I love them like my family, you know what I mean? They're, 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 they're people who I grew close to. We, whenever we train together, it would be like, you know, come on, let's go and celebrate. We've all had a good run. Let's go, let's go into town. We, Tony Clark was part of that as well, you know what I mean? So when that happened, it was like, okay, things don't matter anymore. People's time matters. And, and that, changed my mindset then that let's immerse ourselves in experiences with people that we love yeah. and that's what coaching is as well you know let's let's share it let's share that information let's let's see that glow of people enjoying themselves you know what I mean so I've always been of a socialist nature when it comes to sharing information and also giving myself as well and you know giving access to people because I think there's that scouts element as well yeah. of, you know giving access to people who are 
who may, may never have that access, you know what I mean? Because, you know, I was maybe an outlier who got lucky that I had that environment yeah. that I got lucky with, you know, and it was fate. You know, sometimes the slime doors moment that you regress, like you said yeah, you did, yeah. and that's a natural thing to happen. I just had responsibility. I yeah. had two kids, so I had to focus straight away, so that saved me. Them two lads, you know, as babies, you know, and, and me focusing on them and, 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 and that relationship at the time was like, that saved me, you know what I mean? So, you know, I've got my own kids who I love as well, you know what I mean? So there's all these little interactive journeys that like give me my resilience. So I'd say that was my biggest strength is resilience, yeah. you know what I mean? So, you know, I'm very stubborn when it comes to, well, you know, let's try and find another way. Let's, 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 let's eke out as much as we can to the nth degree, you know what I mean? But now as a bit of older, I've learned that, you know, knocking the walls down is not the way to go. Yeah. You've just got to chip away nice and easy and, you know, it, you've got to be a bit more patient. It's been out the arousal stage and into the control stage more as you get older because one slip as a 50-year-old, that's the end of your career now. <laughs> you know, I, I'm lucky I've had a renaissance. Yeah. So I've got that mindset, you know what I mean? So hopefully that will journey will, will, will be part of what I've done with regard to, you know, what I've done in the past, what I've done in the midterm and what I do in the future, you know. We're going to have a, a, a quick fire round now we're going to start firing questions at you okay um first question from me is going to be on diets when you were most productive as an athlete types of foods and hydration and rest and give us an insight into your feelings on the importance of that and, and what you would recommend for the listener okay so i'd say i got all the pieces of the jigsaw in place and you know what it's not a perfect jigsaw i, I got that in the last 12 months with, with, with obviously being semi-retired and being able to focus on athletics back in the day it was more of a sustainable thing so sometimes when you've got no balance in other words you've got other drivers you've got work you've got family situations you've got other distractions and other priorities it's very difficult to put all them pieces in the jigsaw together so sometimes you've got to leave it out so my diet back in the day was just out of necessity. It wasn't great. Um, it was more of a convenience thing. I had a fuel system. I was working manually, um, and it was more of a convenience thing. But but I was trying my best. But it wasn't as it is now. So I think over the last twelve months, because I've had that element of more time, less stress, more, more. Oh, sorry, less distractions that you know you can put all them pieces of the jigsaw together like because i've been basically you know my purpose and my aim was to be a full-time athlete for the last eight to nine months and you know as a 50 year old yeah. just got lucky in that respect so i'd say from a nutrition point of view um i'd say you know there was a couple of aspects um, i bought a book called racing weight which is a great book and it talks about nutrition and feeding the muscles but also optimizing not spending not putting too much sugar in your system and processed stuff so my diet now is based on you know to get to my optimum weight which i'll do that probably for six weeks in the year when i'm peaking so to get to my optimum weight um i've got to do a calorie deficit so the calorie deficit and i think you talked to somebody who was a nutritionist back in the day on, on one of your yeah, podcasts did, yeah, yeah. which was really insightful um so it, so it's about fueling the system but having none of that um, I suppose 
bad products that can not enhance the system. So what I've done is is, is I've got a, a routine that, you know, at certain points in the year, I'm five pounds heavier than the optimum weight. But that protects me because I know that my system has got enough glycogen carbohydrates. Yeah. But there's a certain time where I start doing a calorie deficit because I've come off the mileage a little bit. So nutrition wise is just whole foods. And, and now, you know, and I think this is a massive difference between now and back at the, the era of the 70s and 80s. You know, it's not just about, oh, they were better runners then. They were, everything was great then. Everything was fresh. Nothing was processed. There was none of that, you know, we bought bulk shopped. No, everyone bought fresh every day. Every food that you held at back in the 70s and the 80s was nutritious. And I don't, I've not read Charlie's book, Stop Feeding Us Lies, but I'm sure that reverts back to them at that, that time. Fresh produce is good for the system. So I've basically gone back to basic principles of no refined sugar, no processed food, and try and eat a healthy, balanced meal. And, you know, only calorie deficit very slightly and, and, and patiently. And, and, and it's not about losing weight. It's about body composition. So if, if, if I was a coach and I'd say, you need to lose weight, that'd be the wrong words. The right words is you've got you've to do the right nutrition to fuel your system so that you can get to the optimum weight for you to race at your peak performance. And you don't know that weight yet because you haven't experimented enough. And, and you know, I was at like 159 um, early season um, lightest I got to was 159 pounds which is about 11 stone 4 I've always been quite you know a different sort of heavier build runner anyway you know and that might be just bone density muscle development because obviously muscle is heavier than fat but you know there is areas I had to work on with the race and weight philosophy which was basically you know dump calorie deficit so when I was doing a big session I'd be carbo so I'd be in surplus I wouldn't be calorie deficit in it I'd be like, okay, big session coming up. Let's fuel that system. So that's what that taught me, that racing weight. And then I've still got to find out what the optimum is. So when I when I broke the Vef 50 mile record this year, I was at 159, 160 pounds, right. which was optimum for maybe a mile. But I'd had a mid-season break. I come back, and when I ran the 3,000 meter Vef uh, 50 British record, I was at 163 pounds. So like, there's a three pound differential between them two, yeah. but it doesn't matter because you know what? I've got optimum performance there. I've got optimum performance there. So I know now there's, within the ballpark of them two performances, I, my nutrition was right. And it's wholesome foods. It's eating, you know, things that are gonna, I, I eat a lot more beetroot now because it's anti-inflammatory. I look for more anti-inflammatory things with like protein synthesis and stuff like that. So I've learned more about that in the last eight months because I can, purposely go into that yeah. there's no distractions for me I, you know I've had that liberating phase where I've actually been able to do research clearly and, and, and you know understand the trial and error aspect and this year I got it perfectly right it wasn't perfect but it got it perfectly right for me because nothing's perfect yeah. so, so from a nutrition point of view it's sustainable like you know when you're on a calorie deficit it, it changes the function of your brain and, and you've got to be careful that you don't go down that rabbit hole of you know, not fueling your system. You know, you've got that issue with you know, the, uh, is it the red S with the women? Yeah, and yeah. making sure that you you're having them conversations, that are healthy conversations. It's about nutrition. It's not about diet. Diet can be a naughty word. It's it's healthy eating and making sure that you're getting that message across. That you know what, you know, we're all different shapes and sizes. We've all got different muscles, muscle structures, and muscle strengths. 
you know what all we've got to do is try and fuel them but don't do it at the deficit you've got to shuttle your carbohydrates you've got to shuttle your glycogen stores you've got to make sure that you you're doing the you know the proper nutrition and, and being disciplined when it needs to be disciplined but you know what let yourself off the hook you know sometimes in the two o'clock i get a little bit of a, a sugar drop and i go oh, what am i going to do here you know oh, i'm going to have half a bounty you know just to yeah. just to, just to make me feel sated a little bit and that's refined sugar but you know what it's like you know what let yourself off the hook because that's more sustainable so the sustainability of nutrition is important and I always find that you've got to let yourself up to you and, and luckily enough in that racing weight book it actually and I think it's Matt Fitzgerald right. Matt Fitzgerald yeah, yeah, yeah. and he, he's brilliant he was just like I'd, I'd listened to a couple of podcasts yeah. but also there was there was barley as well was included and antioxidants in, in, in grapes so I can actually have an IPA beer and actually have a red wine as well so it was like the menu's brilliant I was just like, in moderation, I can have a beer. And in moderation, I can have a red wine. So I let myself off the youth mentally because we don't want to be in that torture chamber of nutrition, nutrition, nutrition. Yeah. It's just like, so sometimes I'll just go and put music on, glass of red wine in the back, you know, like, you know, proper, you know, proper, like, working class to middle class, class jumper, which I'm not, by the way, <laughs> you know, sitting there enjoying, you know, the fruits that, you know, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be doing that as a world class athlete or, or 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 an athlete in general. Oh no, you should, because that's sustainable. So that's what I've learned from from nutrition. Now, give, give, please give me, uh, uh, you know, your, your three meals a day. You get up for your breakfast. Give me an idea of what you're you're having for your breakfast, your lunch, and your, and your dinner, or even maybe you're having six meals a day, like apparently Ronaldo is now. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's, 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 it's usually, you know, it's usually a consistent approach. So I'll get up, I'll have a, I'll have a, a coffee, which has got nothing in it. It's got no, no milk, it's got no sugar. Um, I'll have uh, a pure orange juice, you know, mm. from, from unconcentrated. So it's pure orange juice, so that you're getting your vitamin C, mm. you're getting your, and, 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 and I'll have, I take an iron and vitamin tablet now and a, a, a magnesium tablet. That's all I take. They're, they're the only supplements I take. And the reason for that is? I think um, because as you get older, I think the magnesium side of things is more of, um, I think it helps with, I'm, I'm not 100% sure what it helps with, but I think it's with the aging process, it helps more with the, the magnesium helps with, with, with some sort of, I can't remember what the research is, but it's, it's, it's more beneficial. So it might just be a placebo effect. I don't know because I've, you know, Apparently these these uh, the different qualities yeah. that you can buy. Uh, yeah. So do you, do so you recommend a particular brand or? Well, no, I'm not really. I just get the, the, the Tesco's brands or, yeah. or or whatever you know what I mean. But I, I take a vitamin and an iron supplement because there is uh you know you've got to be careful that you don't get anemic state. And I tend to not get in an anemic state. But if you get the diet wrong, in other words, when you're doing a a, a deficit in the calories, sometimes you might miss out on some nutrients. So I'm, I'm more cautious that, you know, that I'd rather supplement it, even if it's an anecdotal and it doesn't actually, you know, in my mind, me taking them as a routine. And I've got fish oil, the, the, the cod liver oil. Cod liver oil, well. yeah. But, you know, I eat cod liver oil. It tastes terrible, right? But weirdly enough, I drink it neat now. So I'll just have like a mouthful, not even a mouthful, like a teaspoonful. Yeah. And I'll sip that in the morning before I take them. And I'll have that with my glass of orange. And then I'll have, I'll have oats, no sugar in these oats, Scottish oats, you know, yeah. good Scottish oats. Yeah. I'll have 50 grams of that. You don't cook them? 
Yeah, put it in. Just, so you cook them, just, yeah, just yeah. mix it in water, yeah. microwave for a minute, and then I'll have blueberries on it, raspberries on it, and, and a bit of honey. And and that's 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 that and then I'll have oh, fresh uh, yeah blueberries. You're not cooking the blueberries, you just no they just yeah, just bought, are, yeah. bought ones yeah, on yeah. and just put them on the fridge. And then nice. I'll have one or two rounds depending on what run I'm gonna do. I might have already done a run before that and just like relied upon my glycogen stores from the night before and just do a very easy regenerative run in mm. the morning. So I'll come in and I'll either have depending on if I've done a run, I'll have two rounds of whole gra- whole grain, whole meal toast with avocado on. And that's, that's interesting that's supposed to be it's it's a good fat isn't it it's, mm. it's like a, they, they like think of it as a superfood but i like it it's, it's nice and, and and i like that process so so that's what i'll have for me breakfast yeah. um I, I won't potentially if i've if i've not done a run before me breakfast i'll then not if i've run in the breakfast i'll run then probably four or after me next second yeah. if i'm going to train twice a day but if i haven't run before i'll have me breakfast normally with one round of toast then i'll do me run before dinner and then at dinner time i have basically any soup a, a scotch broth yeah. a beef broth you know all on the labels the with the oats and no 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 it's a soup yeah sorry yeah the barley, barley yeah the sorry, lentil yeah. and bacon yeah. the pea and ham and stuff yeah. like that. so i'll have that and then when i finish that bowl i then get myself a, like a, a salad bowl so i'll have rocket and salad put yeah. that in i'll have a cucumber i'll have all the three chili colors in there i'll have beetroot in there i'll have and then i'll have oily fish or i'll have I, I, what I do is I shuttle the oily fish with the uh, mackerel yeah mackerel sardines so virgin olive oil I'll, I'll, I'll drain that I'll put that on and then I'll have like uh, tomatoes and stuff so I'll, I'll make myself a salad and then I'll, after the salad that's my dinner time but I don't eat that until I feel belly empty in other words sometimes you like set routines I eat at 8 o'clock or I eat at 12 o'clock but I don't do that because I've got yeah. that flexibility I go well I'm not hungry enough it's just my mind saying that I should eat at that time so I get to the stage where I go, okay, it might be two o'clock, I've done the run. I try and eat within half an hour of always yeah. running anyway to get the, the, the resources back into my body. And then, you know, that'll be my dinner. But if I'm doing a big session or race, it'll be a big spud with, with, with tuna and, and whatever and the salad garnish. So that's the carbohydrates that I'm shuttling. In other words, I've got a big system. You use that word shuttling, that means just absorption. Shut, taking it on board is that shut, what you well I'm talking about shuttling in other words I've got I'm, shoveling I'm, it down you no no shuttling is basically shuttling more carbohydrates into your diet in other words there's a, uh, there's not enough carbohydrates in my normal daily dinner that would sustain me for a big session so I want to make sure that my glycogen stores are as, uh, as optimised as possible so I can then work as best I can in that session so if I'm not fueled in that session and I've done a couple of sessions where I've bombed out because I'm not fueled properly yeah. and that's where you can get anemic etc etc so it's important when you're doing the big sessions the big long sessions like, you, like you've done today yeah, yeah. You can, you, you've can, you got to fuel beforehand and, and that can come from the night before yeah. and, you know getting the glycogen stores and your liver glycogen stores up and, 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 and starting that process so I shuttle, the, I shuttle it weekly so there might be a big session day and I won't calorie deficit that day and then once I get down to optimum weight, it's just about calorie neutrality. In other words, you just you know you just balancing input and output. In other words, I use that much calories you know throughout the day and 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 and, and I ingest that much calories to match it. In other words, my weight's going to stay exactly the same. And and it takes three or four days before you see any benefit because more carbohydrates, more water in the muscle. I'm heavier, and I, and I'm a big athlete with big muscle. So what happens is is that. You know, I can go on the scales in, in, in the morning 
and, 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 and from a big meal the night before, a big carbohydrate meal the night mm. before, and I'm like 164 pounds. Next minute, I start urinating a lot and going to the toilet a bit, and then all the way through the day, and I'll get to like four o'clock in the afternoon, and if I jump on the scales then, I'll be down to 162. I've lost three pounds in water weight. So what it does is it stores the fat cell, replaces it with water. So you don't, you don't, you don't got to wait for that moment that, and then you've just got to be consistent with, you know, not being anxious about your weight and looking at, and I used to look in the mirror and go, okay, I'm starting to shred a little bit here. I'm getting there, the power to weight yeah. getting there. So from a nutrition point of view, it's a healthy thing to do, but you've got to do it slowly and incrementally and make sure that it doesn't hinder performance as you go along. But you want to get to the optimum race and weight that you get the performances out. And yeah. I've done that great this year, you know what I mean? And Mick Hill um, introduced me to that, the lads who, who, who was like, we've been like, so, you know, his comeback as a fifth, four yeah. five, has been so, you know, we went to Boston together to do an indoor mile in 2020, January. And, and, and he, he introduced me to that booth because he's, he's quite a bit of a yo-yo-yo and, you know, and, and, and he got it right, you know, he was training brilliantly, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? So me and him have got like, a good like relationship where we have a bit of a gab and you know and he's been a good influence in that respect from a nutrition point of view and you know you don't get it right all the time but you know what as long as you've got your principles there and you understand that it's a sustainable thing that you're doing rather than you know don't 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 go oh i'm not going to do that today because i'm i'm depriving myself there's times where your mind needs that little bit of let yourself off the youth, you know what I mean? I do it with having a, maybe a red wine or a, a pint of pint of bloody IPA overnight, you yeah. know what I mean? Just to say, it's not all about running, you know? It's not all about, you know, take yourself out of the running because you're just going to get too anxious. You're always thinking about it 100% of the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. There's more important things going on in your life as well, you know, like work and, you know, and, and future things to do. So from a nutrition point of view, that's I think that's it in a nutshell for I me. Mean, your, your tea or your dinner, you call it your tea. Tea, tea is generally, you know, um, again, a natural thing. It'll be either a pasta based with, uh, with um, you know, lean mince or lean turkey, or you know, I'll have a, a shepherd's pie, or you know, making sure that all the ingredients are like natural ingredients, and then we'll have like a salmon day with you know, with with with, with rice, and you know, all of this is cooked, you know, with olive oil and you know, good fats, good good fats, and, and making sure that, and then. In the night, it'll be like a peppermint tea, and I'll I'll just where I used to go to the chocolate, you know, I used to go to the, like the bloody yeah, yeah. chocolate digestives. I just have a scattering of nuts now, and 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 and, and I'll, I'll get like axiom, like I'll get the really eighty five percent dark chocolate, yeah. and that'll just crave me sweet tooth, you know what I mean? So it's just managing them things and being consistent in it. It's like training. If you do something consistently and get into a routine, everything's a puzzle that you've got to make sure that you're putting in the right order and. You know, sometimes you fall off the wagon. You know, but if you've got ninety percent on the wagon and you, you're keeping that sustainability there, it doesn't matter about the ten percent. It'll take care of itself. For example, yesterday the race being at two o'clock. Yeah. Your morning then would that wouldn't change. The breakfast wouldn't change, but then the. Yeah, just you'd just, be very very hungry then. Uh, would you but, have anything in between? Yeah. Uh, so so yesterday it was it was breakfast as normal, but it was a bit earlier because we left a little bit earlier. I had to I had to have it about quarter past seven. What so, time did you leave? I left, we left um, Thingyo about 20 past 8 at Agile University. Okay. So I, I'd had my normal breakfast, mm. I had a packed lunch. So I had two two whole meal, sorry, two white, I, I used, because I, I didn't want to do the whole meal thing because it can intercept with your stomach. I just went with the white bread elements, which 
it's got carbs. More, more easily digested. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, it was. And then I had like a, I had like a, a calorie-rich flapjack as well, which has got a bit more fat in it. But it didn't matter at that point. It was like, you know, I'm just fueling my system, drinking loads of water, drinking electrolyte water as well. Electrolyte water. Electrolyte water and also water as well. So, yeah. This was on the coach journey, or the yeah, on the coach journey. We yeah. stopped off, and I had like, and I had coffee as well. I'm a big believer in like I like the coffee element of it, you know, and get just you know, the black coffee. Again. Just black coffee again. Yeah. So I was drinking on, on that. the on the white bread. Uh, what was on that? Just, uh, just just ham and cheese okay. so yeah so again you know protein rich as well getting the balance as well so cheese can be problematic now well it was a light it was like a a lighter version so it wasn't too bad no it wasn't it, it I've, I've experimented with it before and I, I don't have stomach problems for a person like myself who's never really weighed me so I seem to say the similar ways but yeah. looking like race weight that's something you would recommend looking into yeah definitely yeah because yeah, you've got to try and optimise when yeah. you're going to run at your optimum performance you know what I mean you don't know your optimum performance yet do you no not at all and the quick fire session of questions is over and now I want to finally ask you I want to ask about Liverpool Pembroke the current squad looking forward and ambitions for the future okay so I, I joined Liverpool Pembroke because of a, a guy called Mark Wynn, who's our club captain. Lovely fellow. I really enjoy being in his company. I met yeah. him yesterday. Talent, talented Masters athlete. And I played and was in his football team. Oh, in, yeah. in I believe he had a really good team as he well. He did, yeah. yeah. And I was in the second team, but I was helping with the coaching as well, yeah. with the football. And um, He was like a conduit for when he started. And I packed in football in 2012 when I was 42. And then I got into a little bit of duathlon and triathlon and then I, I was busy in work. And, and at that point, I joined Southport and Waterloo, t- to be honest, for about 18 months, but I couldn't do any training. It wasn't the right time. I was, again, like you said, when you was got to, like, before 2016, kept yeah. on trying to come back. There was too much going on and I was too busy in work. I just started a new job. So when Mark approached me and I started again in 2018, I started in, in 2018 mainly for my mental health just to go back to basic principles of what I enjoyed, put me training on, going out and enjoying that run. So Mark was like, are you getting back into it? Come and, come and join. And this was in like the June, July in, in 2018. I said, no, if I come now, I'll start running everyone else's sessions and I'll get injured and I'll get ill. And so I, I didn't bother, I, I left it. And then I went and joined a session in September and I got injured straight away, I had a <laughs> hamstring injury. But that was with Mark Bleasdale, who's the club coach, he's the endurance coach. He's you know, the setup there had loads of energy. Mark, I've known for years, Mark Bleasdale's a, a great guy, good, you know, foundation athlete. He always says, you know, he was, he's been in Liverpool, Pembroke all his life. I started with Liverpool, Pembroke, so there was a nice, you know, reason to say, I'm going to join this group. So, you know, when I went to the group, it was like, oh, I like this. I like the atmosphere here, and I like the people, and I like the development, and I like what Mark, Mark Bleasdale and Mark Winner bring into the, the, the endurance side of things I suppose it's similar to what Tony does in, in Liverpool Harriers you know he's got that you know resonance where people are attracted to that sort of thing so I just thought that dynamic for me feels right I, I, and, I, and so I joined in January 2019 and, and it was very you know me coming into that environment with the background that I've got it was really important that I kept a back seat you know I was still only developing still on my comeback but I wasn't getting into you know people didn't know much about my history and you know I, I didn't want them to know too much about my history you know I was just being humble and keeping out the way because the group dynamic was most important and I was like 
I didn't want to impinge on the great work Mark was doing to oh you know we've got somebody who's done this in the past that's the past I'm, I'm a new new athlete now I'm a you know I'm, I'm a bit of a renaissance man I'm trying to come back for my own good and enjoyment and so when I went along and I met the people there and seen what he was building and, and, and the foundation he was building as a coach and having this endurance squad and the setup of Liverpool Pembroke and how it was developing it was like yeah it just felt like going back you know right back from like 1981 when I first started I, and, and the group dynamic was like there was loads of young kids there and it was like and, and again for me it was all about passing on information sharing knowledge and experience but I had to do that in a way that didn't divert away from the nucleus which was Mark Wynn and Mark Mark Wynn as the captain and, and Mark Bleasdale as the, as the endurance coach so there was a little bit of reticence and I was saying to Mark listen you know I'm not going to undermine with any conversation anything that you're having with your athletes but I'll be having knowledgeable conversations with them but it will not be undermining you and he was like yeah I understand yeah we're on the same page anyway we have good conversations we have so I kept myself back a little bit and then I suppose during lockdown we had a um, no one was running and I did the virtual series of runs with them so we'd done this challenge where we'd done an age grading virtual series so we had like 30 or 40 athletes and we were setting them challenges of pick your, pick your times and I'll give you predictors off your age and you had to just break your age grade category right. so we did that and I was like having the it gave me a little bit of a you know personal touch with everyone in the club and in the group yeah. that I could like whatsapp messages you know we're in lockdown you've got to go and individualize do that and then they were sharing their information on strava and on garmin and i was like okay oh that was a bit of a downhill one you know a bit of a laugh and everyone was getting loads out of it It was like oh round one leader is this you know and, and what was happening is people were you know it was really equal because everyone was like at the initial age grade and they just had to get you know if they got a percentage point th that percentage point of the age grades went on their final score so the ones who won were like the ones who'd improved the most and it happened to be like young kids as well who were like on a development stage yeah. getting faster and it was great it was like everyone was enthused it kept everyone going through lockdown it was like but for me it was like i was facilitating that and they were supporting me and it was brilliant it was just like it, it gave everyone a focus to get out the door and do these challenges Some someone was doing like 25ks and, and going out and the, the, you know we've got like someone called we've got like a group called the uh, Ormskirk Mountain Goats who are like part of the club and they go to the Lake District and do the ultra stuff and the, the, the Lakeland 50s yeah. and then you've got the like the speed merchants who are 400 and 800 runners and they were like picking the oh I'm going to do 800 I'm going to do a mile I'm going to do a 3k so they, they we all had age grading for that and it was brilliant so it introduced me to that aspect and, and it was like nice and fair and everyone was motivated so that was a really good like introduction for me to get yeah. into the group dynamic you know what i mean because i'm very like picky and choosy about when i go to group nights because obviously i was like you know i know that i can't do a tuesday and a thursday session i've got to do like a tuesday and a saturday session then a you know and then a, a thursday and a, and a following tuesday so i'd skip all the time so the con continuity of me going to the club and being there all the time was like not all the time but you know as i've developed in that environment the group dynamics brilliant i love it and, and i said when i started this year and i was like you know if i get any publicity or any you know if i do anything within british records or anything i want to make sure there's a continuity with the group you know the group's the most important thing you know we're all we've got a collectivism there we've all you know we're all shouting for each other we've all got this whatsapp group which is brilliant we all enjoy the interactions and championing each other's performances so we've got that sort of you know and, and then we've got like people on really good pathways we've got like 
Mark Roberts, who's just got picked for, he ran, he ran PBs over 400 and 800 metres this year, got picked for England in the Manchester International as under, I think under 20, is it? Or, yeah, under 20. And then you've got like Shay Shay Lachlan, who's really, you know, who's only eight seconds behind you in the, in the mid-Cheshire. He broke 15 minutes, no one's broke 15 minutes for ages, over 5K mm. in the club. So Shay at like 18 I think he is or 17, 18 he, yeah, just, yeah. he just ran he just ran 14, 58 and he was like amazing so you know the culmination come yesterday where you have and you've got Ross Harrison who's like one, one of the Liverpool and District ahead of uh, I think I think you I think he I think oh, you were chasing yeah, yeah. him on Beacon Park that, yeah, I think yeah. you, you were chasing him on Beacon Park but he's another great talent and you've got Luke You've got Luke um, Edwards, who's like a 151 and 47 seconds, 800 meters runner, who's in his 30s now. But, you know, you've got that, like, you've got the Jones brothers, you've got all these guys who are, like, young developing athletes. And you've got, like, oh, you, you know, I can't not talk about Kirsty, you know, Kirsty um, Longley, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's so much of a great, you know, masters athlete, you know, and she's part of the, she's part of the setup. She's not getting coached by Mark anymore, but, you know, she's a product of what Mark's produced, you know what I mean? So, you know, she's a great athlete. She's, a, you know, people that she inspires women in the sport. But you've got, you know, you've got like a girl called Debbie Campbell who's really improved, and you've got like Lisa Gorton who's basically, um, she's doing she's doing duathlon and stuff, and you know, and she's got a good brand. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And then you've got other supplementary women who are, you know, so so the cohesiveness in the group it's quite diverse. You've got really good ladies as well, and you've got you've got good amazing talents as well, and and you've got people who just want to improve and, and that's what the essence of, of, of running is and that that group has got everything you know you've got ultra runners you've got 400 meter runners you've got you've got everyone developing and, and that's what I love about the Liverpool Pembroke brand that we've got at the moment and you know someone said to me I think it was Steve Green who, who, who runs Manchester Met and he says oh yeah you're using a bit of a sleeping giant you know and, and I thought well you know what do we do now you know Mark's got a big group and he spreads quite thin. So I just thought, now's the time to explore now for me to become a coach within that environment. And Mark's having a two weeks hiatus now and I'm taking the sessions on Tuesday, Thursday, this week coming. And then I'm going to go and get me, obviously, me um, UKA coaching badge in a couple of weeks on in, in Loughborough. So I'm looking forward to these experiences. And, you know, just again, being that enabler, you know, me and Mark working together and, having our separate groups but having the same sort of continuity and collaboration that, that you know what we've got different brands so so generically we have like endurance tuesday speed endurance thursday well we're going to flip that i'm going to do speed endurance on the tuesday and endurance on the thursday so everybody's got an option mm. on, on both days so we've got a little bit of you know again trial and error as coaches but liverpool pembroke you know i think you know from an endurance point of view, which is, you know, from my perspective, is what I'm more enthused about. I mean, the club structure is doing well anyway, you know, the, you know, grassroots is getting difficult, the intake of people are getting more difficult to come, but we're hoping that we can get that energy in the club again, that we can start attracting people more into athletics. And I think, you know, if you can be a, try and propagate that sort of energy and, and, and go, oh, wait there, Look at this. This is this is good. This is going well. People are people are you know. I always write on the top of my list health and well being. You know, and that encompasses a lot of things. If people come and get something out of it and have that collectiveness and that shared journey, you know, the coach gets a lot out of that. And I think that's what we're going to try and do. And you know, I think the culmination of that yesterday was you know 
all the young lads coming together. I mean, I got in the 18, 18 as a 50-year-old and I was cooked about five weeks ago. So I had to really get myself up to, to run and solidly to supplement them. And it was it meant a lot, you know what I mean? Mm. But the four young lads who ran yesterday, there was a lad, Joe Niven, who's a triathlete. And he was amazing. He ran like 1803. And he, and, and, and he ran a negative split massively. And his endurance base is amazing. He's 20 years old. And he's not even in our group. He's, he's getting coached off Matt Bottrell and... He's on a he's on a he's on a triathlon, but you know pathway. But he come in yesterday, and and we were like rejoicing in how well he ran yesterday. He was like third fastest on his leg, and he could have ran faster. He just undercooked it the first half, and then must have ran at eight forty five last two yeah. k. Amazing, honestly. And he was like strong, and he looked great. The other supplements of that was like Shay Lachlan, Ross Harrison, Luke ran really well, and then my little tra- my training partner Chris Mayer, who you've had loads of battles with. Yeah. I've trained with him all the way through winter. Me and him were like, like lockdown buddies. You, we, me and him, you know, I wouldn't have had the success I've had without. Obviously, Mark Wynn was the was the was the first point of call for getting into that. And then, me and Chris, you know, he's got loads of information about strength as well, strength work and everything. So you know, he's got loads of knowledge in that respect. And I was like, you know, we 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 have these conversations and we train together all through the through the winter. So the basis of the foundation is always there, and and your teammates. So. Whenever I had a success, you, you share them with your teammates. And yeah. that's what Liverpool Pembroke is. Now, hopefully, a sleeping giant might have woken up and, and we might try and get into a status of being coaches to enable that. And, and waking up just means that we get the excitement going, that grassroots athletics is getting better and it'll attract more people. But how we do that is, you know, I think the basic principle of play will we'll do that. You know, if we've got that mindset of that, we're going into this as a game of a game of running, an art of running, yeah. and, and we're trying to foster that sort of thing and, and just be enablers. You know what I mean? And you know, luckily enough, I've got myself a reputation of having a brand by doing what I've done in the last twelve months, which was very self-indulgent. And now it's time to go down that pathway. And and and, and you know, it's not for me. It, it is for me. It'll give me enjoyment. But what will give me more enjoyment is that if you see people flourishing in that environment, and that's what me being an enabler is as a coach rather than reflection on me it's reflection on what they do and, and me and Mark have said yeah we're happy to stand back and let them get all the glory and, and you know what as long as they turn around and go we did it we'll be happy because all we want to be acknowledged of is the people who are supporting the group and I think Kip Jovi says 100% of the group is worth you know more than 1% of the man yeah. you know the individual so that's the sort of mentality that we want to foster you know what I mean but you know hopefully that's what we'll we're, we're going to try and build an energy in the endurance group and hopefully that might grow tentacles within the club system as well Tony O'Brien it's been marvellous thank you so much for coming on the show thank you for coming on Tony